available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. We got a packed show for you today. We're done with our spring reports. Now it's full-on off-season you got the NFL draft coming up this week. We got some questions to answer, a bunch of questions actually. A lot of people with ideas of what they want us to talk about. We got a voicemail to play, some ad reads. We got lots going on, David. And we we had to solicit answers from the rest of the Pac-12 publishers and we got an answer from everybody. So, we are packed today. We are packed and packed even like beyond what people know about. It took us between three and five minutes to record that stupid intro like the same thing we say every time i had to ask ryan the question wait how do i start this again as if i haven't started what well over like 150 of these things already it was great it was great then ryan flubbed his opener it was wonderful we are operating at a really high level today, and I'm excited for the show. We are peak POC today, and I'm very excited because we have a bunch of topics uh, to get to. There was a question that came out last week about the Olympic sports that Dave and I could answer for the schools that we cover, but we didn't really know some of the other programs. So we actually got an answer from all 10 other Pac-12 programs, so you'll get a little uh, feeling of what it's like with the top sports outside of the big ones, you know, football and uh, basketball are at the different Pac-12 programs. And, you know, there's a lot of national championships in the Pac-12, David. You know, they, they talk about the 500 or so. So there's some really interesting answers. I don't know if you got to read through them yet, but there's some good ones. It's it's the Conference of Champions, Ryan. <laughs> it's it just there's there's championships all around. Now, is some of it because the Pac-12 schools are the only schools that play some of these sports, more or less? Yeah, that's true. That's a true assessment. <laughs> But they play them well, and that's all that matters. Yeah. Uh, we do a good job here in the Pac-12 of playing these sports, playing them well. So we got a lot of uh, info about that with a lot of questions, voicemail, like I said. Before we jump into everything, I want to tell you guys about Robinhood. It's an investing app that keeps that lets you buy stocks, sell stocks, ETFs, options, cryptos, all of that commission-free while other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. That's pretty cool. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. You want to put 100 bucks in there? You want to put 50 bucks in there? You can do that at Robinhood. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. Uh, view easy-to-understand charts and market data. You can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. Really easy to do. You can also view your stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. There's a lot of those in there, so you can kind of get a feel for which stocks you might want to be interested in. Something that you're passionate about, you can kind of look in their stocks that are going to be associated with that. And with Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market 
As you build your portfolio, you'll discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, get custom notifications for price, price movements so you'll never miss the right moment to invest. And right now, Robinhood is giving listeners of the Pac-12 pod, of the Podcast of Champions, sorry, that's the other show I do, the Podcast of Champions, a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at champions.robinhood.com. That's champions.robinhood.com. Check it out, Dave. I will check it out. I will check it out. Um, you you gave the the formal name of our show, the Pac Twelve Podcast. Yeah, that's where you were. That's where you were. That's where you were heading down that path. But you 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 recovered, and I appreciate that. Do you do that, that at was, all? Because you when you do multiple shows, you like forget which one you're doing or something, or not forget, but yeah, you just you get used to saying one of those things. I once I, I've introed the broadcast several times with the podcast of champions, <laughs> where I and then I have to restart. But like I just explained, I don't remember how to intro this show. So I think mainly the the, the, the thing I'm trying to get across is that I have um, absolutely no mental capacity anymore. It's gone. It's yeah. fully fully devolved. Um, Especially after but, Easter. I hope you had a good Easter, everybody. Uh, if you celebrate that. But man, I I gave up candy for like 40 days, you know. And uh, so mm-hmm. I, I've eaten a lot of candy over the past 24 hours, and I, maybe that's affecting my brain. How are you feeling after that? After getting candy back in your life, it's it's it feels good. It's like you get that you know it, you get your fix. Uh, I, yeah, I, I have like the taste buds of a twelve year old boy. Sometimes you know I could eat a pile of you know a bowl of M and M's just like I, like you were a little kid. Uh, so giving it up was not easy, David. So uh, and I get love. I don't. Do we talk about this? The Cadbury cream eggs. Do you like those? Hate those? Yeah, yeah. We've we've, we've talked about that. Yeah, yeah. Extensively. Those are yeah, great, no, and the the mini great. eggs are pretty awesome too. So. They truly are. They truly are. So no, like candy hangover. Where are we on that? Like, are you are you feeling like, you know, a little bit headachey? A little bit, you know. Do you feel fine after gorging? I'm sure on candy yesterday. Yeah, I feel all right. I did. I wait. Went to the gym for a while this morning, so maybe that kind of helped. But then you know, got a little food. Then I feel like I got to eat, eat some candy. So I'm gonna try to ration it. So I'm eating a little bit every day, not just like, oh, I got a pile of candy for Easter. I'm gonna just pound through it sure. all. Are you, sure. you you big in that or not really? Or you got your kids getting them candy and stuff? Yeah, I got kids. They've always got like chocolate stains on them, so it's like kind of <laughs> turned me off to the whole thing. But yeah, I mean, we did an Easter egg hunt yesterday. It was great. You know, just the 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 bunny, you know, bunny themed Easter more for 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 the Woods Clan. But still, you know, we're getting to the spirit of the event. Nice. Take care of the um, kids and stuff. Yeah, that's the main thing. Um, all right, so we have a lot to talk about. A lot. You've so we have this shared document, by the way, everyone out there. I'm gonna take you behind the curtain. We have the shared document. As you might imagine, I contribute oh a few lines, I would say, maybe every few months. <laughs> Ryan has added topics upon topics upon topics. This shared doc that we basically uh delete every single show and then add to again, uh it's six pages long today. So I just want to give you guys a picture of this show that we're about to give you. Um, should we start? Should we start with uh, more money talk in the Pac-12? Yeah, we could do that. Uh, and a lot of this comes. We we always credit you know the Pac-12 writers that we follow, like John Wilner. A lot of that stuff. I mean, he makes it easy with the whenever he puts out his hotline newsletter. I just kind of gl- glance through. And if there's topics I think our users, I mean, there's a, most of them you would be interested in, but just kind of the main ones. Sometimes there are quick little tidbits of, of, of football stuff, and other times it's like bigger picture stuff. Uh, 
So we've there's some John Canzano stuff this week, John Wilner stuff. So we, you know, we we kind of rely on them, and we can bring it to the to our f- listeners and let them, you know, hear what we have to say about it. All right. So uh, from Wilner, um, so most recent reporting comes that um, Big Twen- Big Ten schools are making more than uh, get twenty million dollars more per year per school. SEC getting ten million more per year per school. Um, and the Pac-12. Then the Pac-12. Yeah. Yes, obviously. Then then the conference that we cover here, uh, <laughs> if you can still call it a conference um, or a major one. Um, uh, and I, I thought the most interesting note, and you put this in there, was that um, Purdue, so, you know, huge athletic powerhouse Purdue, as you might imagine, <laughs> uh, their head football coach now makes more than any other coach in the Pac-12. Than any coach in the Pac-12, he makes more. Hmm. Does that seem good? Well, Does it seem good that Purdue's head football coach makes more than anyone in the Pac-12? They they typically make the playoff every year, right? Like that's that's one of those teams. Well, and here's the thing: like I'm a big Jeff Brom fan. I think he's going to be really good, and I think he already is like pretty good at Purdue. But like, what's the expectation at Purdue? Like, what's what's the end result that you're getting for your money? Like, maybe they they win nine games, yeah. right? Like, are they ever going to like? Even with a, a dynamo head coach, like, are they ever going to recruit at a high enough level to compete with Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State consistently? Right. I no, they won't. And I, in you know, we know that he's a Louisville guy, and we know that Louisville came after him, and that's part of the reason he's getting as much money as he's getting, and his his staff makes a lot of money too. But I think that's where there's some hidden stuff with this money. If the Big Twelve, what I mean, the Big Ten wasn't getting that kind of money, then they wouldn't be able to pay Jeff Brom a lot more money than anyone in the Pac-12 makes. And so when Louisville comes, he's just he's just gone. Well, now if somebody comes, you know, like say you know wh- whoever it is, if it's Chip Kelly goes crazy and UCLA wants to keep him, and uh, you know Auburn is coming after him, and UCLA was getting an extra twenty million dollars <laughs> more than a year than they're getting now. They could probably just pay him whatever he wanted and keep, get him to stay. Where so you could do a, a place like Purdue can outbid your you know a program's alma mater that's going to come in hot and heavy for a guy. I don't know if you could say that about anyone in the Pac-12 right now that you could fight off something like that. And Purdue can, which is that's the weirdest part for me is seeing something like that happen. Is uh, that's the power of that extra twenty million dollars per school. Uh, per year that you can do at some a place like Purdue or Rutgers or whatever. Well, so the interesting thing for me will be to see um, when that the opposite of that starts to take effect, right? So when, um, for example, like Chris Peterson, right? He's getting paid a good amount of money at Washington, but it's not it's not Jeff Brom at Purdue money. No. Um, if <laughs> if an Auburn comes around, it, and Peterson might not be the best example because he he was notoriously picky in where he would choose to go out of Boise State, and he'd probably be similarly picky. But let's just say a coach of Peterson's caliber who has Peterson's success in the Pac-12, right? What When we start to see those guys being poached from Pac-12 schools for other schools, then I'll consider this a disaster-level problem. Yeah. Right now, what it means for me is that when a coach is a free agent, um, it's going to be tough. Like when it's when it's Chip Kelly coming off of, you know, but in that case, obviously he had, you know, he had some 
previous desire to come out west, I think, that helped UCLA, even with a smaller package, uh, beat out Florida um, and Boston College and a few others. Um, but when there's like a free agent who's a true free agent who's just going to go wherever he wants to go, um, will the Pac-12 even be in the conversation? Will any school in the Pac-12 be in the conversation? Um, and that's where, you know, that that's the easy problem. And then I, I think a lot of these coaches are inclined um, if the money is good enough to stay where they are. Um, like I think Brom, even with the poll of Louisville, once you've established, it's it can be hard to want to leave immediately. Yeah. Um, so I would say I'd be interested to see if that starts to happen because that would be disaster level. And I think that would mean that schools out there are literally offering two times, whatever the others, whatever the PAC 12 school is. Um, but I think this will have impact in the essential free agency of coaching when yeah. there's a guy out of work or a guy who's moving up a level from like a, you know, a mid major school from a group of five school to a power five school. Will the PAC 12 schools even be in the bidding? Um, if it's a really up and coming guy, no, it's a good point. And I think where you might fall, you could look at some of the Pac 12 coaches, and there's a lot of unique situations where now we saw Tennessee go after Mike Leach last year, but it's not Mike Leach is not going to fit everywhere. You know, Chris Peterson likes, you know, where he is. And you, you almost have to find those unique personalities that aren't going to look at, oh, I can go uh, to LSU or I can go to. Uh, Michigan or whatever it is, and and that's like appealing to them. It's like you almost have to find the certain kind of people in the Pac-12 that aren't necessarily looking to upgrade because it's going to be an upgrade almost everywhere you go. If Purdue's making more than any you know anyone in the Pac-12. That's a problem. Um, but you but there are unique personalities like David Shaw's Stanford guy. Like would he leave Stanford? You know he does his NFL stuff. Uh, you know for the draft and all, and all that. Um, you know Leach. You know about him. Just kind of more of a small college town kind of guy. Like he could go someplace in the SEC potentially when Tennessee looked at him, Chris Peterson, uh, you know, Chip Kelly's unique, uh, you know, being like such a success at Oregon and then the NFL stuff. And, but he was still sought after and uh, you know, you see like to their credit ended up snagging him, but it's going to be tougher and tougher. I think David, for this to continue. And you, it's almost like you have to find those unique people that what's important to everyone else. Isn't necessarily important to them. Yeah, I think assessing fit, but I think this was always true. Um, I think assessing fit when you're hiring in the Pac-12 is important because it is, it's a distance. Like it is, I mean, go look at a map sometime and look at how close like Ohio and like Georgia are. And then compare either of those locations to how far away California and Oregon and Washington are. Um, It's just, it's a different deal. Um, And if your roots are anywhere really east of the Mississippi, uh, the west of it is big and expansive (laughs) and it can feel far and it can feel very different. And I think that does factor in. And so you want to like, that's why um, I know when UCLA is always talking about coaches, it's always like, you know, generally West coast ties that helps. And it's not simply because, Oh, that'll help in recruiting. It's also because then it feels a little bit more homey to those guys, like a little bit more like, okay, this is, you know, it's a place where I can live because I know people and I know, I know folks out here. Um, it'll be interesting. I think so. Willie Taggart is the one that obviously comes to mind who came out West and then immediately left. Um, but I don't, again, that was not one that I don't think was a, a bidding situation. That was like Florida. I mean, it was his um, Florida state. It was, you know, his, his kind of hometown school that he wanted to, you know, he, he had dreamed of coaching at forever apparently. Um, and the other one that would be, you know, you could also explain away that way is if Cristobal ever left for Miami, 
um, which, you know, won't happen now or for several years, but could happen at some point. Um, but I, I think the two that would be ones to watch would be Kevin Sumlin at Arizona, if he has a lot of success there. Will he get poached? Like, will somebody come out and try to get him? And will Arizona be able to step up? And then, really, Trip Kelly at UCLA. If he yeah. has a ton of success, if he goes, you know, if he suddenly goes nine and three or ten and two this year, and clearly gets the ship moving in the right direction, and then starts to put together, you know, elite level seasons, will that, you know, will will somebody like an Auburn or you know, Saban's probably got to retire sometime soon. Will somebody like Alabama come after him? And, you know, will will there be the resources in place for X Pac-12 school, but in this case UCLA, to step up to keep him? Um, yeah. And that's going to be the question. Um, if And that's my that's going to be my test. If it gets to that point, because I think Pac-12 schools always were going to struggle in a bidding war in free agency and coaching, no matter what the TV contracts were, because just the passion and booster levels that so many of these sec schools especially are so much greater than ucl uh, than uh, the pac-12 in general um but if pac-12 coaches start to get poached that's disaster yeah for sure and i think you could look at it another level too you hire mel tucker at colorado you hire jonathan smith at oregon state and say you know it's it's you know first year or second year but if Oregon State won like eight or nine games this year, or or Colorado did, does somebody who said, okay, that was an unproven assistant for uh, good coaches, so we, you know like the pedigree of these guys, but you just weren't sure if they could be a head, a head coach, bam, they prove that they can be. Does someone that they need to get a new coach, like, well, we're going to get that guy. Instead of hiring an assistant, we're going to take one that's been a head coach for a year or two, but it's proven he can do it. Uh, and grab them, and then you're like, then you're out of luck. So you, you, you're Colorado. You identified a guy that you thought was going to be really good. It turned out he is, but then you can't keep him because he showed how good he was right away, and then someone just took him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's probably and then so uh, the John Canzano's radio show uh, in Portland. Rob Mullins, the athletic director for Oregon, was on there. So the his quote was. Uh, they were worried about if the conference would be quote drifting out of range, and so that's. That's like the main thing here is that will it be the separation where no matter what you do, it's just you're not you're not even going to be in, in range of these other programs where Purdue or Rutgers or Iowa State or whatever it is, uh, they make more money than your bell cow program, you know, the Washington or UCLA or whatever. Um, then you're just out of range and the contract's not going to change for another five years. So uh, I, I don't know what the Pac-12 would do, but that, I think that's the concern. And that's what we see, right? It's like it seems like that's where it's trending, David, where the conference is drifting out of range of the other conferences. Yeah, I mean, from a pure money perspective, that's definitely true and, and getting worse. I just I'm always more um, I, I want to see the real world effects. So I want to see, you know, literally Pac-12 coaches, the higher performing ones getting poached. And I like if we're seeing that sort of thing, then it's OK. Yeah, there's. There's an actual real-world effect of this. Right now, Jeff Brom's getting paid a lot more money than Chris Peterson and David Shaw to perform at a much worse level. I mean, and that's... Look, you, you spend your money however you want, Purdue. Um, but if it becomes a thing where David Shaw is... Okay, now um, Rutgers is going to go grab him because Rutgers has two times as much money as Stanford. Or uh, Chris Peterson, okay, Florida's going to grab him now for $9 million a year because they have a lot more money than Washington. 
Um, we're not seeing that yet. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that's going to happen because honestly, the hiring patterns for Pac-12 schools have always been a little bit different. Yeah. And the Pac-12 has always been um, lower revenue than a lot of these major other major conferences, just from a lot of simple facts about what the schools are in the Pac-12, um, what the rights deals have always entailed with the media markets in play. Um, like all these things have just been truths. And SEC schools have always had more money. I mean, they, they've always been setting the bar with, um, you know, what salaries they can pay and Big Ten schools to a certain extent as well. Um, but once we start seeing those real world effects and you're seeing, I think, more at the assistant level. Um, and I think that's probably where we're going to see the poaching really start. Um, it hasn't hit quite at that level yet, but I, I can definitely see that coming at the assistant levels. And, and I'm sure that'll trickle up at some point. Yeah. Uh, another one, uh, this was about, so the, the PAC 12 network president, uh, Mark Shaken. So he was quoted in sports business, uh, journal, uh, in the sports business journal and talking about, um, there's a lot of people obviously that are critical of the PAC 12 and the, what it was really strange to me that he was saying that, uh, people didn't understand what the objective was. And he was essentially saying the objective isn't to make money. It's to like give our athletes exposure. And it just seems so weird, David, when you would read some of this stuff and the people commenting on it, like you, you say you're this media company, but you don't care about like making money or how many homes are in the, it's, it's really, it's like, he's trying to change the the game. Like, no, no, don't judge us on how much money we make or how many households our network network. It's a network network is in. We put up 850 live events a year. That's what's important to us. It was very, very strange. I don't know what you thought of it. Yeah. It's, I mean, beyond dumb and stupid, they're just trying to, (laughs) I mean, they're, they're trying to change the conversation and they're trying to spin this stuff in a positive way. Um, and I, I get the impulse, but like, there's gotta be a better way than explaining it like that. Like, I mean, I always, I, I think it would be better for them to concede. No, we haven't hit our revenue goals, but what we've, and continuously spin that we still own, you know, the entirety of our network. We're going to have a really good negotiating position when we hit the next rights deal. And this is, you know, maybe not part of our ideal situation right now but this is still a workable position for us to land a pretty good rights deal i mean and i think that's a fair argument still to make i mean i don't know if i buy it completely but i think that's a fair argument um i don't know if they're just on a full pr binge but i don't know who any of this is going to convince Um, no maybe the whole point of this is uh, landing private equity still i don't know but even that like anybody doing their due diligence into the network would understand what their issues are um you have you have too many you have too many like networks that you're trying to uh essentially fill content on and it's content that nobody cares about um so when you're doing that uh you're not going to meet your revenue goals and also you're it's not valuable inventory um so i mean maybe i'm no i mean it, it just doesn't make sense because it couldn't have been part of the pitch to the schools themselves either um I mean, maybe they're spinning it that way now, but I mean, I know the schools themselves wanted um, the Olympic sports on there, but I don't think they wanted them at the expense of uh, making the revenue goals that they were initially told were 
very possible with the network. Right. And that's the thing. They they were given a range uh, back in 2011 or whatever uh, of what the financial uh, windfalls or the, the goals would be of the network. And they haven't met the lowest ones. Like the here's the bottom of where we think that it will at least be this. And then there was a much higher range. The Pac-12 network hasn't got to the bottom. They, they're not to where the, they thought the lowest ones were. So I don't think, uh, and John Wilner talks about this, Having, you know, if you talk to all the athletic directors and the CEOs, uh, would they be, would they be, you know, would they have agreed if they know, if they had known the network revenue would be what it is now back in 2011? They would not. Um, and, and he, he went on to say, would they have been willing to say, we're okay sacrificing revenue expectations for 12 years, so long as the networks succeed in amplifying the quote, student athlete experience. And he said, again, no chance. Like, so yeah, that they're trying to change the the narrative, and it's just not—I don't know—it's just not making much sense. I'm not sure who they're convincing here, but there's you know making money isn't the everything, but it is important. And you know, it's not even just putting all those live stuff out there. You don't even have the flexibility to put the number one versus number two baseball team in the country on your network. You show something else. Uh, it doesn't make much sense to me. They're, they're not even doing the, that stuff the right way. They could do the Olympic sports better than what they're doing. And uh, so it's, he, I know he's got a tough job, but man, this is uh this is a really, just seems like another tone deaf uh, argument coming out of the PAC 12. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wish I had, I was convinced they were a little bit more innovative with what they're going to try to do um, to pivot out of this, because I, I don't know how much would you be willing to spend per month for just the Pac-12 network so that you could see every one of, you know, USC's football. Well, and this is your job, but I, I guess like just Joe fan out there, how much would he be willing to spend per month if it was like an a la, a la carte streaming of just the Pac-12 network um, to watch every game that you can get on the Pac-12 network for like the four months of the football season? Yeah, I'd probably, I don't know, 10 bucks or something like I'd, I'd, yeah i'd probably go 10 to 15 like i'd probably go in that range and, yeah. and that's even discounting the fact that i would have to do it because whatever but like sell your major rights to espn and fox put everything else on an app that people pay 10 15 bucks for i mean throughout the footprint of the league there's got to be i don't know how many people pay for that lots i would think i mean i would think so too but they like have maybe, to do it better too because there's you know like they don't have stuff that's well yeah that's the thing yeah. invest in it like at a crazy level and i don't know i mean i just don't think that they're and the overhead i would imagine will be lower on that than doing basically a tv network um yeah i would think there would be some you know things that they could cut from like an overhead perspective but I don't know. Uh, I, I think at the present rate, they're not getting the exposure they want because also, if you do an app, like there's no barrier to entry. Like it's not like if it's if it's just a streaming service that I can pay ten bucks and turn off and on whenever I want. Then like okay, somebody just wants to watch one game, then they're paying you ten bucks yeah. for it. Um, and I know a lot of people, and this is just being completely honest. I know a lot of people who don't get the Pac-12 network, and would probably otherwise pay for it, but instead they find some uh, bootleg stream on Reddit and just watch it there. Um, yeah, they, they'd like to be able to. They would like to be able to pay for it. And yeah, but they don't. And like, I and their barrier is they don't want to pay the uh, whatever it is the added cost on Sling, where it would be like twenty five or thirty bucks. But would they pay ten? Maybe. Yeah. And if um, let's say you're a Stanford football fan, all right. Well, okay. Better example. Let's say you're like Arizona State football fan. We want to like. <laughs> We want to relate to more people. Um, 
And you were like, you know, if you knew. Well, the Stanford fan can definitely pay for it. Yeah, you can pay for it. But say, okay, say you love ASU football. Uh, you work on the weekends, whatever it is. And you would pay for the app knowing that I could go and like pull up. I want to see ASU, uh, Oregon State um, in 60 minutes. And I want it just on demand. I don't want to like find it. Like you pull it up yep. on the app and watch it. Like you can't do that kind of stuff now, even if you get it. Um, if you could do that, that would be awesome. You know, you could do you know, the, the video, like they have some video on demand, but it's not, you know, like, Hey, I want all this ASU stuff or whatever, whoever you're, you're a fan of your Cal stuff. Um, and the, you know, if they made it like that, people would, I think there were a lot of people that would pay for it and they, you would get better content and you might get people watching more of the other stuff. Like, Oh, there was a big soccer game between, uh, you know, Oregon and, and Stanford or something, and, and you want to go, you know, watch that or something like you could do all that stuff, but it's just, it's not, even if you're paying for it, it's just not, you're not getting the value that you would like uh, from it. Not just from the programming standpoint, but just from what they're delivering. And for, for them to be as expensive, you know, as expensive as it is, you, you, you want it to be technologically better than the, your counterparts and they're not better than them in that aspect either. Yeah. I think that, I mean, this is all, they they need to change the leadership. They need somebody who has a different, uh, I think, worldview than this sort of thing. And they, I think, for the Pac-12 to be competitive, um, I think they need to start thinking in terms of what's next. Not and maybe that is sort of what they're doing with trying to own the whole of the network, so they have some flexibility. But I don't know. I'm just not hearing anything that's super innovative. I'm hearing uh, let's sell a 10 percent stake to private equity, which doesn't sound no uh, smart or innovative. Um, so I think. They need to get competitive. As we talked about, the revenue is not trending in a good direction. Um, and I think there's 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 ways to pivot into what is the future, which is probably a lot more a la carte stuff. Um, and I know I'd be probably willing to pay 10 bucks a month for the Pac-12 network. Um, and yeah, maybe I would turn it off after basketball season. So I'd have it for August to March, basically. But... I'd be willing to do that. And I think a lot of people would keep it for the entire year because it is cool to go back and watch the footballs in sixties, even after the season's over. Like yeah. you want to get a football fix in July, you can watch those football in sixties. And if they did some really good programming around signing day and they did some really good programming around, gosh, I don't know. There's probably a ton of different things they could do. I don't know if they can go out to like a, a, a stupid seven on seven tournament, but maybe somebody would watch that. I don't know. People are crazy. Yeah, uh, but there's a bunch of stuff you could do to get, um, you know, get some subscriber count over the course of the year. But I think even just based on football and basketball season, you would make a pretty sizable chunk of money and maybe more than they're currently making from their rights deal. And I think it would give more accessibility to people. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that if you're if you're trying to argue for exposure, um, making it more available to people so that we can actually take off the tagline that we are available in more homes than the Pac-12 <laughs> network, uh, then that'd be great. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. That was another uh, Wilner one. Um, little newsy notes. Uh, so this was from Bruce Feldman on Twitter. So Utah running back, uh, Armand Shine, he had 512 rushing yards last year and five touchdowns for the Utes. He's going to Texas Tech as a grad transfer, immediately eligible. So uh, he is moving on. So it was just a, a little note that I thought he's a name that I think most people on this podcast would have. Oh, yeah, I remember watching him run. So he won't be running the Pac-12 anymore. All right. Well, happy trails, yeah. Armand. 
Uh, we also I saw this from uh, RJ uh, for Stanford. The official statement came from Stanford Football that Coach Shannon Turley no longer works at Stanford. As this is a personal matter, we will not be providing further information. So that's the Stanford strength coach. We talked about him several weeks back. That he was suspended yeah. or whatever, and yeah, he's he's gone. When it actually says a personnel matter, which is really weird because don't you don't they always provide updates on personnel matters you, like don't uh, that's not like a distinction like a personal matter would make a lot more sense actually there like, oh then if it was a, a personal matter no but they're saying it's a personnel matter like yeah you you you're you let go a guy or he left i mean lots of times you provide further details about that oh. it's a dumb distinction stanford figure out a way to, to say that better i think i just copied and pasted that from the tweet so i don't think i changed that as i was writing no anything. no 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 it, it said personnel okay so I think uh, no. I'm just saying Stanford. That's not like a. That's not like a. That's not like a valuable distinction. Like no. yeah, you provide updates a lot about a, about a lot of personnel matters. Yeah. Like if you fired a coach for like you know something, you would probably say the something. So right. Anyway, um, Oregon. So we had that question last week, I believe, about where Oregon was on their scholarships. So uh, posed it to Kevin Wade. He said, uh, so Oregon is projected to have 88 or 89 scholarships if no one transfers and all the signees enroll. One walk-on was placed on a one-year scholarship for 2018, but we're not sure if it continues for 2019. And I can tell you, it won't <laughs> if they are still at 88 or 89. Uh, so they got to shed some on. dudes. They got to shed some bodies right now. Yeah, uh, that you know, UCLA will take a couple. They got room. <laughs> they got like fifteen spots. So you get eighty-five. Uh, so and it, you know, basically by the end of the summer, you have to be at eighty-five. So most likely, I know everyone's doing the full four-year scholarship things, but for walk-ons, it's not. I don't think it's necessarily the case there. So sometimes you get a, a walk-on will get a scholarship, especially if they're like a redshirt junior. Maybe they're done with school. Maybe they're not, but they're off scholarship. They're off the team, and they might be finishing up school or something. So that that's pretty common. So I, I would agree with David that 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 walk on is most likely not going to be uh, on it. And then they have to change the rules. They used to have to be if you were a walk on, you'd have to play for two years before you could be given a scholarship. Otherwise, you would count as an initial counter, which is you know part of the recruiting class basically. So now you only have to be around one year. So they've changed that rule. Um, so you sometimes you weren't seeing walk-ons get scholarships until they're like juniors. But if you have like a freshman kicker that came on as a walk-on, they'd give them a scholarship right away sometimes. So uh, I don't know the case with this particular one. But yeah, though there's going to have to be some natural attrition. And anyone like that that was a, a candidate to not have their scholarship anymore probably won't have it anymore. Yep. All right. Should we get to the... Uh... Olympic sports questions? Yeah. Did, so do you have the uh, – I don't know if we have the, the question itself. Do you have that handy? Basically uh, – no, but I'll, I'll just it. So okay. basically the, there, it was two questions. One, uh, what's your school known for in the non-basketball and football realms? Uh, Non-men's basketball and football realms, excuse me. And then two, what's a bucket list item that every Pac-12 uh, uh, fan should go do at your school in that same vein of the Olympic sports? Yeah. Um, so I'll start with Oregon State. Sure. All right, so this is from Angie. Uh, probably no surprise for Oregon State, the Beavs have quickly become a baseball school after winning the College World Series in 2006, 2007, and 2018. They've also been to Omaha several more times. 
The bucket list item for Pac-12 fans should definitely be going to the College World Series. It is an amazing atmosphere for baseball fans. As far as at Oregon State, attending a big weekend series in Corvallis at Goss Stadium is always fun. The stadium is beautiful and set right in the middle of campus. Fans will tailgate prior to baseball games if the weather cooperates. The stadium also has a left field standing room deck known as Banners with beer and wine sales. All right. Ah. Oregon State baseball fans are knowledgeable and rowdy. That sounds very much like the Oregon State fans of any sport that I know of. Yeah, uh, that's good. I think when we were talking about this last week, that's that was my guess for Oregon State. It was I put baseball there? So um, absolutely nice. But yeah, that would that would make a lot of sense. Uh, you want me to do Washington? Do it. Okay, Washington. So we actually we got the uh, the the person that wrote the question was a Washington fan gave his perspective last week. But from Chris Fetters, he said uh, it would have to be crew. 19 national championships for the men and four uh, for the women. So the NCAA took over the championships in 1997. Uh, the Windermere Cup is a pretty cool event for those that haven't been to Washington before. There's a canal that runs just south of Husky Stadium called uh, Montlake Cut. It connects Lake Washington and Portage Bay, Lake Union, and the Ship Canal that goes all the way out to Puget Sound. Every May at the beginning of uh, the month, Washington and Windermere Real Estate host a regatta going through the cut that's considered one of the elite rowing competitions in the world alongside events like the Henley Regatta in England, or whatever that is. Uh, it's cool because all <laughs> oh, the Hen- oh, the Henley Regatta. Oh, of course. Yes, yes, of course. The Henley Regatta. <laughs> I thought you were saying the Hanley Regatta. <laughs> it's cool because Washington invites uh, international competition uh, into row against them in the past. National team crews from the Soviet Union, Russia, Australia, Italy, China, Croatia, Great Britain, Poland, and New Zealand have competed, as well as prestigious international universities, uh, teams like Cambridge and Oxford. It's a great event to watch because there's three ways to watch. You can watch on the side of the cut uh, right next to the water, or you can watch from the boat, uh, from a boat moored on either side of the course at the beginning or the end, or you could watch from the Montlake Bridge that goes over the top roughly three quarters of the way down the course. It's a great Vantage point. Ah, interesting stuff. Beautiful. I've never, I've never watched rowing, so yeah. I've, I mean, be no. Interesting. All right, this is on Colorado. Uh, this is from our man Adam. Uh, it is difficult to choose between cross country and skiing, but I'll go with cross country just because of the exposure Colorado has gotten on the Olympic stage in recent years with Jenny Simpson and Emma Coburn, both winning bronze medals at the Rio Olympics in the fifteen hundred meters and steeplechase, respectively. The Buffalo's women's cross-country team has won three national championships, most recently in 2018, and has won two individual national titles. Colorado's men's cross-country team has won five national titles, including two in the last six years, and it has four individual national titles. While cross-country is not the most exciting event for a spectator, if you are a Colorado fan, going to the cross-country Pac-12 championships or national championships gives you the opportunity to cheer on an elite program. Mark Wetmore the Buffs cross-country coach since 1995 is a borderline legend in the sport. He is very funny. He is a very funny and humble man that every Colorado fan should try to meet at some point. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, and you know, you figure the altitude cross-country makes sense, right? Like you're going to be yeah. running it out. Like people train. The Olympians go to Boulder stuff to train. You know, you you want to train uh, at those high altitudes. Oh, those those Colorado runners come down to your level. They're going to kick your ass. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right, we got uh, this from Steve uh, Steve Bartell, Utah. Utah would be defined by gymnastics, so they get fifteen thousand fans to each home meet or skiing, and they're the current NCAA champions. 
He said a, a Utah gymnastic home meet is a bucket list item. Uh, they average more fans than any sport that isn't football, even men's hoops. The energy in the building is high. And for those that haven't attended, uh, gym meets can be a lot of fun. Gym fans tend to be a lot friendlier to visitors as well. And it's funny, like you know, we've seen on the UCLA side uh, that, you know, the the viral videos for gymnastics and stuff. And it's crazy, like the amount of fans uh, and the amount of people that, that watch this stuff. I mean, I know it's really popular for the Olympics. Uh, but that you know you can if you get a good college team, people get behind it. Yeah, the um, one of the meets at the end of the season uh, drew more fans than all but I want to say one men's basketball game this season at UCLA. Wow. Yeah. Um, no, and gymnastics. If you go to like a dual meet, it's fun as hell. Like it, it is really fun, and everyone's super into it. And like the energy, like the actual like energy among the athletes is like better than basically any other sport. It's really cool. Um, so Tracy responded for UCLA, kind of echoed what I said last week, but we'll read it. Uh, UCLA is probably most associated traditionally with men's volleyball and Coach Al Skate's domination of the sport. He coached for 48 years and won 19 national championships, but men's volleyball hasn't won a national championship since 2006. While men's tennis has won 16 national championships and men's water polo and softball have won 11 each, you'd have to say that right now the non-revenue sport that has captured the fans' zeitgeist is UCLA women's gymnastics. The program won its seventh national championship last year, led by coach Valerie Condos Field. The team is currently ranked number two in the nation. So they just this this was written before they lost um, in the finals. They ended up third um, in what is Condos Field's last year, her 28th season as head coach. UCLA Gymnastics garnered big publicity earlier this year when gymnast Caitlin Ohashi's perfect 10 on her floor routine became a viral video. The team. OK, and that's about the national championship. Uh, and then he says, for the bucket list item, UCLA gymnastics commonly draws big crowds, sometimes selling out Poly Pavilion. So a definite UCLA bucket list item is attending a UCLA gymnastics meet at least once in your life. Nice. Uh, okay. Um, cool. Let's go. We'll go to Stanford. So this is what RJ wrote in. He said, it's a real tough call with Stanford and non-revenue sports because virtually all of them have been uh, incredibly successful. Women's volleyball has won two of the last three national titles. Women's tennis has 19 NCAA titles and won two of the last three as well. Women's soccer has two national titles, uh, last one in 2017. Men's soccer saw their quest for a four-peat thwarted last year. Sailing, um, best not, not to talk about sailing right now because the sailing coach was one of the guys arrested by the FBI. Uh, <laughs> despite all that, he didn't write that. I put that in there. Despite all that, <laughs> if there's a Stanford bucket list item that would appeal to Pac-12 fans, I'd say it's a game or series at Sunken Diamond. It's simply a masterpiece and a spectacular way to spend a spring day. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, RJ. All right. And then for Arizona, definitely softball. So this is from Jason. Uh, sells out nearly every game and the most successful non-revenue sport on campus. Uh, he says, for bucket list item, the women's NIT was pretty fun, but softball would be the big one. Uh, stadium was just renovated and looks great. Nearly every game is sold out. Games are pretty quick. Baseball isn't bad either, but softball has better crowds and is better overall. Yeah, and also softball games are much, uh, he puts it out, but I want to emphasize, softball games are much quicker. Like, much, much quicker. Yeah. Baseball, I mean, guys, let's, <laughs> let's just level with each other, right? boring and it's so long it's so long it takes forever and nothing happens uh, softball if you're gonna get the, it's the same basic feel but like two-thirds as long they do it faster i mean i grew up playing baseball so it's hard for me to to hear that i know you know but i i like watching baseball now i don't like 
uh, live tweeting uh, college baseball games like our buddy RJ will do sometimes, but oh, pitch man. by pitch. RJ, back off on that a little bit. We're yeah, just yeah a, back off on pitch by pitch. But when back the, off the issue I have with uh, softball, you know, I know they have their own little quirks and uh, you know and inter- like idiosyncrasies and things. But because it's so much short, I'd like the the field to be a little bit bigger because you can basically get a ball hit in the hole and you're a shortstop and it's impossible to like to throw the runner out, you know? Um, and, you know, so baseball, there's just the 90 feet. I think it just gives you more of leeway where you can range to one side or the other, make a play and still be able to throw the person out unless they're like super fast. It's like softball. It's like it happens so fast. It's like it's so small. I think they could make it a little bit bigger and it would be still, I think the game would still be fast, but uh, it would, I think it would, I would feel better to me like watching baseball my whole life. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's just quick. I, I get I get I get it to an extent. Uh, it's yeah, yeah. Like if you're if you're a shortstop and you have to go to your right a little bit, like you can't throw the person out. Like it's it's like impossible. Um, yeah. It's weird. Like it's a bang bang bang. Um, and it's like. But pitchers, I think also the part of it is that pitchers are so dominant. Yeah. In softball, like the good ones, like and they'll pitch every day, and it's just that's a weird thing too. It's like you could pitch like every day. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's less you know less crazy on your arm, um, so there's some value there. But yeah, maybe it's just concessions to make for the fact that the pitchers are so dominant that you know you can beat out a grounder that's thrown that's just to the you know, the right of the shortstop. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. All right, well let's go up to the Palouse, Washington State for decades. The answer at Washington State would have been baseball as well as track and field. The Cougars were a powerhouse in both from the 1940s to the early 1990s. And produced uh, such notables as John Allerund and Ron Say. John John Allerud. Allerud. Sorry. Ron Say. Ron Say. I know Gosh, Ron Say. Gosh, my God. Who's Allerud? I don't even know him. Uh, he was a left-handed hitter for uh, Blue Jays. All right. I think Mariners. Nice. Uh, and yeah, he was he was on the uh, Blue Jays uh, World Series team. Okay. Back in the early 90s. But anyway. And uh, Ron Say, you know him. Uh, Henry Rono and Bernard uh, Laggett in track. Nowadays, there are two non-revenue sports where the Cougs shine. Women's soccer, seven NCAA tourney berths in the last eight seasons, and volleyball, three three straight NCAA tournament appearances, including a Sweet 16 this past season. A regatta down on the Snake River on a sunny day would be the bucket list. Uh, Cool. The regatta's abound here lots of damn rowing in the state of washington yeah all right cal uh so who's this from is this from uh this was okay i got this from jackson moore so uh we actually have a a change uh in the uh the the cal the 24 7 cal site so bear territory so jackson moore who actually used to work for me at the fresno state site when i was running uh that back in the day he still lives in fresno but he he runs a few of the smaller sites on 24-7 sports. I think uh, Fresno State, uh, Hawaii, and like San Jose State. But he recently took over the Cal site. So yeah. uh, he he put this together for us. Yeah, one of many people who has worked for Ryan. All right, uh, Cal, uh, <laughs> there has been no program more successful at the NCAA national level for Cal than men's water polo. Of the 38 NCAA national championships, men's water polo accounts for 14 of them. The success has been sustained over five decades, with the first championship coming in 1973 and the most recent in 2016. The program's longest spans without a championship were 14 and nine years. Cal sponsors 30 varsity teams, and cutting select sports has been on the table due to financial struggles. In 2010, five sports were slated to be cut, 
Take in history by seeing why donors rallied together with millions of dollars to save these programs. Take your pick between baseball, rugby, men's and women's gymnastics, and lacrosse. All right. Uh, thanks for the Jackson. Uh, for Arizona State, uh, we got two late additions today because I, I two people didn't uh, respond right away, David. So I had to you know give him a little nudge. Uh, but Chris Cartman wrote uh, told us historically ASU baseball is the most successful sport. That hasn't been the case in the last decade, but it's always going to be viewed that way. Uh, to the bucket list sport would be softball. They've been very good at times, and it's highly enjoyable sport, very consumable. Yeah, so that's basically Chris Cartman saying you're wrong again, Ryan. <laughs> sort of like your assessment of ASU last year. What? Wait, what did I say? What was I wrong about? What did I say ASU was good at? No, no, no. Oh, you softball. Said, you, were, okay. you, were, you were talking you were talking just mad crap about softball. Just I, I wasn't really talking ago. mad crap. I just Oh, you know. I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. And I think yeah. everyone else there, else out there heard it nice. too. That you uh were just talking mad, mad shit. Yeah. All right. Real quick, uh, so Matt for this for Oregon, I actually had to send out a couple emails. So we have two responses. So one is from uh Matt Prem and the other one's from uh, Ke- Kevin Wade as the one at the bottom. So Oh my god. You've given me a lot to read. All right, here we go. I think this is Matt's. Yeah, the first one's Matt's. All right, traditionally, I would say track and field. Oregon's first love aesthetically has been track and field. First love athletically has been track and field, and the entire town loves the sport and shows up in support of the program in droves. It also is the mecca for the sport because of Hayward Field and the support the fans give to all competitors. However, the last few years, two sports have really become major players on campus, and that would be softball and Oregon women's basketball. Softball has led the conference in attendance the last few years, and while this season the program is down, they've been king of the Pac-12 for over a decade, over half a decade. Basketball led the conference in attendance this past season, was almost equal to the men's numbers in support, which is wild. Women's basketball might be the most popular sport on campus at this very moment because they have a transcendent athlete in Sabrina Ionescu, who has etched herself on the Mount Rushmore of Oregon sports with the likes of Pre? Prefontaine. Oh, Prefontaine track and Mariota football. Uh, two, if you are asking about events here in the state of Oregon, I would suggest someone attends either the Pac-12 championships or the NCAA championships for track and field when it returns to Hayward Field. They're rebuilding the historic stadium and making it much more modern. But like I said above, the fan support for all athletes and not just Oregon athletes is unmatched anywhere. I am not a big fan of track and field, but I can't help but go one day to the NCAAs just because the athletes are the nation's best and you've got the best setting in that sport. So they have 31 national titles in track. Men's cross country has six. Indoor has four. Outdoor track and field has seven. Women's cross country has four. Indoor has seven. And outdoor track and field, three. So for women's, it's four cross country, seven indoor, three outdoor track and field. Um, Yeah, and Kevin's answer is the same, so I'm not reading it. I'm sorry, Kevin. (laughs) But you know what, Ryan? What? I want to talk about something else. You ready to talk about something else? Yes. Let's talk boners. You ready to talk some boners? <laughs> I'd love to. All right, guys. Let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go, Ryan? Not really. No, it was a long time ago. Yep. Yep. I get it. <laughs> uh, well, now, I'm just letting you know, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue, like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Um, I'll tell you, Ryan, when I tried Blue Chew, I really noticed something extra. 
Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code CHAMPS. That's C-H-A-M-P-S. You just pay $5 shipping. That's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code CHAMPS, to try it free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Thanks so much, Bluetooth, and an excellent read, as always, David. Good job. Oh, thank you, Ryan. Thank we you. We like talking about boners on the podcast, especially during the off-season, you know? That's the time for boner talk here <laughs> on the podcast of championship. Champions. Champions. Nice. Um, well, I guess we should get into the uh, the questions. I think that's all the... We, we exhausted all the topics I wrote down for today. Um, Tell me about it. I have... Okay. You might need to take a little note. So I might do this in our little doc because this is a voicemail question. I think there's 48 questions in this voicemail. Um, oh, God. Play, oh, yeah, God. so there's a, there's a few topics. It's not maybe not that many, but uh, I will... Uh, we can take some notes of these as we go through, but I'll play... Since we love voicemails, I'll play you this voicemail and get your thoughts. Here you go. Hey, guys. Um, this is Choney19. I'm, I'm the mysterious caller that left you your last voicemail on the uh, podcast a couple weeks ago. Uh, so I left another, I'm leaving another voicemail, ask a few more questions. Uh, so for this week, uh, I wanted to know, first question, if you were able to get Larry Scott onto the podcast of champions, what questions would you ask him? Particularly like what kind of hard hitting questions would you ask him? I guess the same question would, uh, would be if you were able to get Rick Neuheisel onto the podcast. And is that, actually a possibility or something you can actually try to make happen. Um, my second question is, um, with the Pac-12, you know, it's it's hard to imagine it going the way of the Big East, but is it within the realm of possibility it could actually get demoted um, or kind of fall apart as a conference the way the Big East did? Um, on one hand, it's hard to imagine the West Coast not having a footprint in college football, but on the other hand, it just seems like the, the league's just in really bad shape right now, and it's, it's not going to get any better. And um, my last question is, is that with uh, it being confirmed that Jake Browning's not going to get his eighth year of eligibility, who is going to be the podcast champion's new whipping boy going forward? Um, if I could make a suggestion, maybe JT Daniels from USC. Uh, but what do you think? All right, thanks, guys. Thank you uh, for answering my questions, and keep up the good work. Choni uh, 19 now. Bye. All right, thank you. Thank you, Choni. I would point out, however, that you asked four questions, and um, <laughs> and you, you, you skipped one before. You, when you said second question, you had already <laughs> asked second two questions. So I took copious notes um, during your call, so I am ready to go back to the beginning. Uh, what questions would we ask Larry Scott if he were to come on our program. Uh, so I would start off, David, with uh, when you you can't give him an opportunity to say the, the normal spiel that he gives. So I think if you can pose some, I think we could come up with some good things that you kind of put him in a, I don't want to say you put him in a corner, but you make him like make a choice and not just give this like 
answer of blah blah blah. Like, I think the best one I came up with him that I gave I, I, I this was like Pac-12 championship game a few years ago. Uh, I gave it to my beat writer Dan Weber because he was going to go talk to Larry Scott with some of the other media. I, I was doing something else, and I said, "Can you just ask him? Is it more important uh, to, for you know high level success, or is it more important to have parity, uh, you know, to make the playoff or have parity?" And he basically said, "Having parity, like you kind of gave him a choice there, and that's kind of something we see uh, with Larry Scott." There's, Parity probably, you know, parity's nice, but you'd rather, it's way better for the conference if you could have teams making the playoff every year. So I would try to get some questions like that and come up with some more things. I don't know what you think, Dick. Yeah, and I would also try to pin him down on the revenue. Um, so uh-huh. the big disparities between, like, w- dive into what that actually means in real, get him, get him committed to an answer that either it does not matter or that they will solve the revenue issue immediately and get, like, actual... Like, well, what's the strategy then? What's what's the actual plan? Because I know you, you, you like having your rights. So what's the actual plan going forward if you're going to negotiate a new rights deal? What do you think your leverage is? Um, and you know, basically pin him down to see if he thinks, the, if, if he's going to admit that the revenue matters or that it's fine that the Pac-12 is wallowing at like 50% of what other leagues are doing. Yeah, no, I think that would be be great. And, and you know, it would be awesome if we could get him to come on the show sometime. So, uh, Rick Neuheisel, we could get him, I think. I don't know if he would want to come on because you're not a huge fan of his, but I am. You know, yeah. I, and we could talk about the gloves, why they didn't have enough gloves. And, you know, if he had the gloves, why they would have been much more successful at UCLA. But he's, you know, he was very good when he was on the Pac 12 network as an analyst. And I, li- I like him, what he was doing, uh, you know, for the, uh, for CBS. Um, you know, he was a pretty successful coach in the uh, AAF that's no longer around. But, yeah, he, he's gettable. I, I, you know, he does a radio show with Chris Childers, who I know pretty well. So I'm sure we could get him if, if Dave would want to. Well, see, so my thing with all these guys is I'm, I'm not necessarily interested in their answers to questions. Um, so, like, Larry Scott, I'm not interested in talking to him because I find him to be a disingenuous creep whenever I hear him <laughs> talking. <laughs> And New Eyes, I, I, I find everything that comes out of his mouth not to be mean or bad or, or, or uninteresting, but just wrong. And ask, whenever you bring somebody like that onto a show or a thing, you're, you're essentially granting them expert status of some sort. And I just don't concede his expertise on most points. So it would be, I don't know, it would be disingenuous of me to ask, like, I don't know. It would be... I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't feel right asking him expertise questions. I don't want his analysis of somebody or something like. <laughs> when he explains away his tenure at UCLA as, oh yeah, we didn't have the right equipment. I mean, that's just no. That's not a it's valid brilliant. response for why you struggled at UCLA. It's brilliant. But like, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, if I'm asking, I, I have a better opinion about Stanford football than he does, and I'm not some Stanford expert. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, just asking him his opinions about things just feels inherently wrong it would be like me bringing on like just some i don't know some random vapid idiot who's on tv and deciding that they're an expert on something just because they talk loud on tv yeah no no i and i get that where you he's not covering the pac-12 right now so you're just kind of you know relying on his expertise as a you know someone that's been you know coached in the pac-12 at at, you know many different spots um and that's not something you you know and it, it you know, is that really relevant? I'd rather talk to like Wilner or Kanzana or someone that's covering the Pac-12 
uh, in general, you know, or someone that's out here and doing those kind of things. You know, Larry Scott. Somebody who, somebody who has obvious expertise or has actually been good at whatever it is they're doing. <laughs> like, I think, I think if I wanted to talk to Rick Neuheisel, like, the interesting conversation for me would be to talk about the stuff he's good at, which is, so what is your technique for, like, you know, being able to digest enough information about all these games that you're then able to pontificate about them, right? Or, you know... Um, how did you learn how to do this chord on your guitar? You know, like those are the <laughs> things that you ask Rick Neuheisel about. Nice. Not football. But like Larry Scott, you know, he's the commissioner of the conference that we cover. So, but a bad one. But a he's very bad, bad one. yes. But like, and so if you're bringing him on like this show, like you're not going to just sit there and like the only way he would agree to come on, right? Is if we basically agree to like a, a decent enough interview where we're not like just bagging on him the whole time, but it's it's disingenuous to sit there and say what was your strategy? It's obviously bad. Yeah, like it's obviously bad, and you don't have a pivot point out of it. Um, but I guess I, I don't know. I would much rather interview Larry Scott for like the purposes of writing a story than interview him for the purposes of the podcast because the answer is like the medium. Yeah, you know. Whereas if you're writing a story, you get to have your own angle on it. I don't know. It's a little bit harder in a in a interview setting. Yeah. Um, uh, as far as know. like, I'd have to think about it more. Yeah, the Pac-12 being demoted. Um, I mean, it's. I, I think the most likely scenario for something like that to happen would be the Big Twelve. Uh, they get their stuff going. They're making more money than the Pac-12. And for their viability, they decide they need to expand and they like snatch up like USC, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State or something like that. Like if they tried to do take some schools from the Pac-12 South and bring them into the Big 12 and those schools look at the, you know, oh, we could make 50 million a year with the Big 12 or 25 million a year with the Pac-12. Let's go to the 50 million. Like if it was something like that, then I think then you're going to the you know, you're going to torpedo the conference. But I mean, I think there's enough big brands in it where it just, if, you know, if they're not making the pact, the, uh, the, the, um, co- you know, the college football playoff every year, I think people will just relegate them to uh second tier status. But I, you know, I think there'll still be a power five conference uh, unless something crazy like that happens. Yeah. I, I, I have a hard time seeing them uh, ever falling apart like the big East did. And also go back to that geography point. The Big East fell apart because there were other conferences, at least in part, because there were other conferences that were geographically able to scoop up a lot of those schools without stretching. Uh, The Big 12 is the closest, and it would have to stretch quite a bit to even accommodate the Arizona schools. And stretch quite a bit, and it's already distended out east. You already have to accommodate West Virginia in the Big 12. Um, Then accommodating anybody on Pacific time in addition to all of that, that's... That's where I think that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The Big East, on the other hand, I mean, it was a lot of schools ditching them for the ACC, which, I mean, it made more or less sense. I mean, it was it, it was fine. Um, so I don't I, I just don't think it makes sense geographically for it to ever fall apart like that. It would have to be a really, really, really extreme thing. And I think the only way it would ever work is if the Big 12 basically doubled in size and took on at least, uh, to your extreme point, took on like at least six Pac-12 schools. And then the other six Pac-12 schools dropped down to Mountain West level or something. Uh, But basically something where it would at least give the Pac-12 like a division where they're mostly playing still in the same region. Um, 
But yeah, and even that I think is is wholly unrealistic at this point. Yeah. Uh, whipping boy. So I think I, I don't think we were, you know, treating him as a whip. Jake Browning as like a whipping boy for this. It was just really the narrative. The joke kind of it wrote itself. You know, there was a, there was specific reasons. We're not just going to pick a quarterback every year to bag on. Like there were really specific, you know, reasons why everything with Jake Browning kind of worked that way. I mean, it could be like like you said, if JT Daniels continues to get all the hype, continues to start, and he doesn't look good, and uh, they never replace him and stuff. That could be, you know, something we talk about. Or Justin Herbert, everyone keeps saying he's going to be the number one pick. And he's, you know, completes 55% of his passes and just doesn't look very good. It, it, something like that. But it needs to be, we're not going to just pick it out of the blue. It has to be something that comes to us in a story. And then we just, you know, kind of latch onto it. Yeah, it has to be somebody who comes to us, like, you know, it, 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 similarly to Jake Browning. So that's why JT Daniels is going to be the whipping. (laughs) He very well could be. (laughs) Let me look. Hang on, hang on, hang on. All right. So JT Daniels. All right. So his adjusted yards per attempt last year was 6.9. Jake Browning's lowest as a college quarterback was 7.7. Ah, just, I'm just, just throwing it out there. Um, but Jake Browning was playing for Jake Chris Browning, Peterson Jake, and J- Jake Daniels Browning. Nev, nev, JT Daniels had a lower uh, had a lower uh, quarterback rating than anything Jake Browning produced in college. So really, what we're talking about is the superiority of Jake Browning um, as a eighth year. What, what was he last year? He was a seventh year senior. I think yeah. I think that they didn't yeah. count that six and a half year. It was the coveted coveted eighth year that he really wanted. <laughs> um, uh yeah no uh yeah so uh, it's JT Daniels uh don't don't listen to anything Ryan said it's just JT Daniels all right we'll uh we'll see uh random questions this is from Scott hey Ryan and Dave love the podcast have some random questions for you this week are donuts a breakfast food I, absolutely yes one hundred percent I love donuts I haven't had a donut. I gotta go have one because I I didn't have those. Whatever you're feeling about donuts, whether you love them or hate them, they are nothing if not a breakfast food. Yeah, I mean the place is open at five in the mornings. So you can get them. That's not a. It's breakfast. But if food. you eat donuts, if you eat donuts after like two p.m., uh, you're a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like not, it's, the gourmet donut places in like Portland and stuff. Like if you're eating that in the afternoon after like walking around Portland all day. You're, you're a crazy person. No. Don't do that. I think it's got to be a morning thing. Yeah. It's, I don't see how it's, it's a morning thing. Yeah. It's a morning thing. It's like a Sunday morning. You know, like if you got little kids, you go out, you get donuts for the kids, you bring them back. They're there at seven in the morning, whatever. That's how you do it. You're not eating donuts at like four in the afternoon after like walking around drinking beer. That's crazy. That's just crazy person behavior. Yeah. Don't do that. Uh, who is the best pro basketball player in the movie Space Jam? Not named Michael Jordan. He gives us Charles Barkley, Sean Bradley. Whoa. Uh, Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, or Muggsy Bowes? I'd probably go Barkley, For, but... you got to go Barkley, and second, uh, Space Jam is a miserable piece of crap movie. I don't I don't even know if I've seen the whole thing all the way through, but people... Uh, it's just garbage. It's pure nostalgia garbage why anybody likes that absolute crap fest. <laughs> it's people saw it when they were like eight, and they're like, oh my God, it's so cool. Michael Jordan in an animated movie. It sucks so bad. Take off your blinders. Watch that again. It's trash. And they're coming up with a second one. Yeah, absolutely. Because nostalgia plays today. Yeah. Uh, what's about the your, the most overrated fast food chain? Mm, Got to be one of those like Midwestern burger franchises, right? Like Whataburger, Whataburger or something. Yeah, like uh, oh, White Castle. White Castle's trash. It's pretty bad. But like, 
if you only eat at three in the morning when you're drunk and you just get a sack of those small little oh, I burgers, got, I don't know. I'm gonna commit violence towards you right now. What? Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, uh, is that really fast food? I would count it because it's fast coffee, but also you can get like donuts and stuff. Yeah. And you can also get their fast foodie stuff. See, I don't. If it's got a drive through, I generally consider it fast food. Okay. See, I don't drink coffee, uh, but I grew up, you know, growing up in New England, there, you know, my little town of like 30,000 people had four Dunkin' Donuts in it, you know? So like there's Dunkin' Donuts. Everywhere. That's yeah, like yeah. before Starbucks. I mean, that's what's, you know, in New England, like that's their Starbucks is Dunkin' Donuts. Um, right. I like donuts, so I would go in and get a Boston cream donut and stuff. Uh, but I've not really eaten like I, the I, food. I find their, their 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 coffee is like so sugary. It's just everything they do is like just it feels like donut greases and everything. Oh, they say and uh, I think in New England you say like coffee regular, which is like cream and sugar or something. Like there's there's some I, the, distinction. You get cream and sugar. You get cream and sugar in one of those things. It is like <laughs> injecting yourself with like pure like cane sugar it is so bad yeah uh anyway should uh tiger woods retire now no no the golfers don't retire like you just get so old that you're then going the senior circuit and then you die on a course <laughs> that's all that happens <laughs> i would like it'll be interesting to see him play like on the champions tour like I, th- I think you have to be 45 or 50 i forget what it is and he's like 43 but no he just wanted to freaking, he would murder it yeah he just won a major <laughs> like you know he's He's three majors away from. Well, that's that's the thing is like when 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 Jack Nicholas did this, like he was on the downside, um, but like he still won a couple. Ti- like when Ti- he was old. Tiger's like top ten in the world right now, right? <laughs> I th- I don't know. I, it, he was he was number twelve going into the Masters. Oh, then yeah, he's got to be top ten. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. no, don't retire when you're in the top ten. Still, no. He worldwide. he's been through much worse shit. Like if he just goes through now and like you know finishes in some top fives and majors but doesn't win, there's no shame in that. Like what he'd gone through before is way worse. So yeah, I would I would stick it out now that you're playing well. Uh, yeah. Three years from now, who do you think is the next team to become a conference power that is currently considered a middle to bottom ranked team? So anywhere or is this a Pac-12 question? Is like any anywhere? Jeff Brom at Purdue, baby. Purdue, yeah. I mean, literally, Purdue could be. Yeah, that could be it. Um, trying to think who else. You could talk me into. I mean, Florida is. I, well, it's hard to pick SEC schools ever. Yeah, like um, you'd, you'd have to be like an Arkansas or something. Like I think Florida is just too like no. They they've won the the their division like a couple of times in the last three years, right? So, but. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, like Oklahoma State wins like 10 games a year, so you can't really pick them, you know? You know, yeah. even if you want to pick like a Washington State, you know, they won 12 games or whatever last year. Like, you can't, I don't know. You know what? I'll say Matt Rule gets it figured out at Baylor, and Baylor ends up being pretty good. Again. All right. I like that. Uh, thanks for keeping the podcast going when things are slow. Well, thank you, Scott, for the questions. All right. Here is one from Robert, and this is referencing our man, Big Nick. All right, fellows, fellows, why did I do that? Fellas, uh, this question is as much for Big Nick as it is for you, too. Basically, every one of his emails to the show is either beaver-centric or includes a jab at the beeves. There is no doubt that my and David's beloved beavers have been a doormat since uh, Mike Riley left, but it's confusing to me that Mr. 23 from the P has so many feelings about the doormat of the conference and likely the worst FBS team in 2018. Perhaps you would like to hypothesize on our error, or perhaps Big Nick could shed some light via email to the show. Please go Beavs. Robert, I have a theory. Do you have a theory? Uh, yeah, sure. Let's hear yours. 
Oregon State in the Pete Carroll years was like a weird sort of kryptonite. Um, and they lost like a couple of times, I want to say, in Corvallis when they were like at peak of their powers. Um, and maybe that just kind of hung with Nick a little bit. Maybe, yeah. I But I feel like when he's giving his assessment of the teams, he's trying to be pretty honest about it. And it's just every time Oregon State's like the 12th best team. Like it, it really hasn't changed since we started this podcast, right? Like have they... What's their record been since we, you know, from 2016, 17, and 18? Like, they've won, like, one conference game at the most, right? Um, so, I don't know if it's, like, a jab. It's just they're always at the bottom. So, they're always, they've, they've just stunk since we started this show. In the last four years, they have four conference Okay. Wins. So, I, I think that's a lot to do with it, too. Uh, I don't know if he has any ill will specifically towards Oregon State. Because I, I feel like if Oregon State finished six and six he wouldn't say that about them it's just they don't they're two yeah. and ten so that's my guess but i don't know but yeah maybe that like like the yeah. 2008 when they went up with like mark sanchez and and lost and like that, that kept them out of some big stuff so true. uh maybe that's true all right this is from uh boone is that right boone white uh ryan and david so this is for new pac-12 commissioner ryan and dave uh first time long time appreciate all your work uh, as we hit the doldrums of the offseason, I think it's appropriate we step into a world, a world where the Pac-12 has found a worse commissioner, Gordon Gecko. In this world, Gecko has managed to take every team in the conference public at for Larry Scott's uh, recent venture endeavors. Your task is to decide which teams you will buy, sell, or short. These are stocks you expect to never recover slash you win if they lose. So yeah. Okay. So for shorting, you know what shorting is. Basically, you're basically you're betting that they're high right now, they're overvalued right now, so they're going to go down. And it says rules. But wouldn't I'm sorry. But then what? So how how are we distinguishing that and selling then? Because you also want to sell high, right? Um. Yeah, that's true. It's like buy. It's usually buy, sell, or hold. I would think sell is like. Okay, yeah. So if you're selling, because you, to sell, you would have already had to have purchased them. Yeah, like you could sell Washington State because, yeah, but like selling and shorting is a, it's a, essentially the same thing. Like you're, I mean, selling you you own the stock already. Shorting, you're saying I will buy it later, but I'm selling it now. Um, so I think we need to do buy, sell, or hold. Let's do buy, sell, or hold because I'm not. I'm not getting the full distinction between sell and short yeah. unless we had established our, our our stocks already from last when you, year. When you're a short seller, like if you're if you are basically when you're shorting a stock, you're selling it before you buy it. So it's essentially right. the same thing as a sell. So you're I don't own this stock. I look at Apple. I'm like, holy crap, it's three hundred dollars. Uh, the phones stink. They're going to go down. I will sell it short today. So I'm on the hook for basically buying it. Uh, later so if it goes from 300 to 400 i have to buy it at 400 you know so even though i've already sold it at 300 if it goes up to 400 i'm i gotta buy it there now um if it goes yeah down, and it's great it's 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 wonderful it's, i love people making money off of uh, essentially legal gambling it's great anyway um yeah let's do this <laughs> there was one i just saw like a netflix thing uh i can't remember what it was but there was some uh big you know everyone got behind this stock and they were talking to the short sellers who looked at it like this is not like these people aren't running the business well it's just very popular 
and so they made a lot of money. They 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 realized that like, look, these people are frauds. So they sold, you know, they sold short and uh, crushed everybody. Well, great, great. Yeah, it's it's the, wonderful. The American no, way, you I, love I think it. it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. But making a bunch of money producing nothing. But the um, rules are you have to do each transaction at least four times. So we can't like buy everyone or sell. We have to buy four, sell buy four, buy four, sell four, or hold four. Yeah. Okay. Got it. All right, so let's start. Um, let's not look at his. Let's start ours. So okay. Arizona, are you buying, selling, or holding? oh wait, do we have to like so we have to keep track of these, right? Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so Arizona, I think I'm going. See, it's hard because you got to think like what do I, what am I going to need later? Um, I might buy Arizona. I was going buy or I, hold. I'm I'm selling Arizona. Whoa. Okay, so hold on. Let me. Put this down here. We'll do. Uh, okay, so I'm going to. Wow, we're we're completely opposite. I'm going to buy, and you're going to sell Arizona. All right. Mm-hmm. You want to just go like Arizona State? Yeah. Uh, ASU, I'm going to sell. ASU, I will hold. Okay, so I'm looking at them as like they. Uh, finished second in the Pac-12 South uh, last year, and I think that they're going to move uh, down a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I just I don't know which way they're going yet, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be cautious. Okay, you're gonna hold where that. Yeah, you think they could? They finished second in the Pac-12 South two years in a row. I think I think I think if they have another decent enough year, then I'm gonna feel much more confident about buying a little bit more of that Arizona State stock. All right, uh, you want to do Utah? Sure. Uh, they won the Pac-12 South. I think I'm going to hold Utah. Yeah, I too will hold Utah. Um, I'm not sure how much more upside that particular stock has. All right. In the parlance of stockiness. Uh, Colorado, I think I'm going to buy. They, what, they were finished sixth in the conference. I mean, the division, right? So I, I, I don't know if they'll move up, but I'll, I'll buy them. I too will buy them if only because I think their value is particularly low right now. Yeah. And so I think there's there's some value to get there, as they say in stock world. Ooh, I got I'm running out of buys. Uh USC, I'm gonna buy them too, because like they're not gonna be five and seven. Like even if they're seven and five, like you're still making money. And they could easily win eight or nine games. I too will buy USC if only because the long term value there is always good and they're at a low ebb. That's I mean that like, if you're looking not just for next year but for long term, like they're not going to stay there, so that that would make sense. Uh, UCLA, God, I I kind of got to buy them too, son of a. I'm like out of buys already. I might have to change my Arizona buy. Um, I'm going to buy UCLA. What are you doing? I think I'm holding UCLA. Holding three wins. Um, well, I think it's, yeah, I'll hold. All right. Um, I mean like, yeah, they might double in value next year, but I don't know if there's like, well, who else am I going to buy? Let's think. Well, we can change it afterwards. Uh, If you, yeah, let's hold them for now. Let's hold them for now. Okay. Let's go. Washington. I will hold. I too will hold. Okay. Uh, Washington state. I will sell. I too will sell. Uh, just too high. Sorry, Washington State. You're just you know, with twelve games. Did they win eleven or twelve? Something. What was it? Eleven. I think it was eleven. Eleven. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's go Oregon. I think I'm gonna try to to make some money here. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to sell because I, f- I feel like Oregon could be good, but there's so much hype that you're just like, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to play, you know, maybe they, maybe they need expectations, but I think it's more likely they don't. Um, mm-hmm. OSU, I think I'm just going to hold them. I will probably go buy with Oregon State just because they're so low. Okay. Really, they really only need to get a little bit better for that to pay off. All right. Um, and then we have Stanford. Hmm. Uh, let's see. What do I have left? Okay, I have. You've got one sell and one hold. Ooh. I don't really want to sell Stanford. Um, I guess I'll hold Stanford. I'll sell them. Wow. I'm a little, I'm a little turned off by what's gone on of late. That seems fine. Uh, you know, maybe it's a little fearful. Maybe it's a little, you know, I'm, I'm being a little too reactive as happens here in market world where we do market things. I, I and, uh, I'm going to change mine to sell because I, I'd rather hold Cal because I feel like I don't want to sell Cal because I think if Cal gets an offense, then they'll be all right. So I'm going to hold Cal and sell Stanford. But every time we pick Stanford to, ah, uh, they're not going to be that good this year. They always crush it. So uh, that, I'm buying Cal. I'm buying them. You're buying Cal. Nice. All right. So I think that's pretty good. Feel, so Arizona, we have completely mine. opposite. I buy, you sell. ASU, I'm selling. You're holding. Utah, we're holding. Colorado, we're buying. USC, we're buying. UCLA, I'm buying. You're holding. Washington, we're both holding. Washington and Oregon, we're both. Washington State and Oregon, we're both selling. I'm holding Oregon State. You're buying it. Stanford, we're both selling. I'm going to hold Cal, and you're going to buy Cal. Great work, everyone. Nice. And then he said, so he was buying Washington, selling Washington State, selling Oregon. Uh, shorting Oregon State, which we're not sure the distinction there. Uh, selling Stanford, shorting Cal, selling Utah, buying Colorado. You dollar sign C. He's shorting. He says bad decision, but go Bruins. <laughs> so so he's he's going to lose money on that, and he doesn't care. Buying UCLA, shorting Arizona, and buying ASU. I think by changing it to hold, we kind of changed the parameters of what was going on, but it was hard to. I don't know. Then you'd have to like eight sellings, right? basically. He said, don't forget. And he has the the, the meme of uh, Gordon Gecko. Greed is good. All right. Thank you, Boone. All right. Here's our Hithliday fella. Oh, nice. Uh, Ca- Caster and the Polaxed. Uh, historically speaking, Oregon State, even in the bad years, and there are a lot of them, still usually gets at least one conference win, oftentimes an upset that nobody sees coming. Last year was just the most recent example. They'll have a tough time in 2019 with five conference road games and missing the two worst teams in the South. Still, you just know they're going to get somebody, right? Call your shot now. Who's it going to be? So looking at the schedule, who is OSU going to beat? Is that, that's the question, right? That's the question. All right. I like week one, the bye week. I feel pretty confident there. (laughs) Week six, also a bye week. Uh, Looking good. All right. So, Stanford out of the gate uh, at home. Don't feel great about it. Don't feel great about on the road at UCLA. Don't feel great about home against Utah. Don't feel great on the road against Cal. 
on the road against Arizona, Washington at home, ASU at home, at Washington State, at Oregon. I, I don't know. I'm not. I don't know what I would pick there. Um, like the home ones are tough, you know. Like the better teams are at home, so you'd have to think Oregon State's going to go on the road and beat like UCLA or Cal or Arizona. Like I, I don't know about that. I'm going to call my shot. Okay. I think it'll be Washington on the Friday night at home. Okay. Um. <laughs> so the <laughs> only, literally, I don't, I, 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 I wouldn't pick them in any of these games, and I won't pick them when the time comes. But if I'm looking at this, the only, only reason I would pick that is because it's Washington having to go on the road six days after they play uh, a game which has historically not been fun in the Pac-12. Do you know who they play? So, who does Washington play that week before? Do you know? Uh, let me look. I just had Like it. if they're like at Oregon or something and then they go, at, well, no, they wouldn't. Do, they, get, no. they get Utah at home and Utah's always good for beating somebody up. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But it's not looking good. And, and as David pointed out, um, you know, four conference wins over the last four years. So, there's, it's usually one. Um, I don't know if this one. Uh, yeah. Actually, no. I mean, the median win to- the 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 usual win total is zero. They've they've had zero twice. Oh. So it was three wins, three wins one year, and then one win another. Oh, year, and okay. Zero and zero. Oh, okay. Uh, no, they've they've had an odd distribution. Yeah. Um. And they that, and that three years. What the three wins was like 2015, right? Like. Yeah. That was yeah. 2016. 2016. 2016. Yeah. Okay, so the first year we did the podcast, they won three conference games. All right. Uh, this is from Matt, an off-season question. Hey, guys, I hope you guys realize how fortunate you both are to have the jobs you do. From a regular 9-to-5 working man's perspective, it's a dream job type gig. Dave is so snarky, you would think he hates his job if you listen to the pod once or twice. Well, funny story, Matt. <laughs> this is my second job. I have a 9-to-5. <laughs> We don't make a lot of money doing this. <laughs> this isn't like we, you know, we have regular jobs. Well, but I would sound snarky if this was my full time job. It was when yeah. we started this. So right, right, and I mean, I I cover USC full time, but this this is like this is definitely not part of. I mean, I guess it's some small part of that. But if I stopped doing this, I would make very much the exact same money if we just didn't do this. <laughs> so it's like. This is this is extra that we put work we put in that we don't need. It's to a labor. In. It's a labor of hate. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's not like oh you know if you if you if you cut out the podcast of champions and from your uscfootball.com stuff like your revenue your your you know income would go down by thirty percent like it would go down. I by, mean it, it's like it's like twelve cups of coffee a month, man. <laughs> that's that's what it would go down. Um, so it, this yeah. is really yeah. Uh, but anyway. You were so snarky. Uh, I don't think that's true, but I can empathize with what it must be like to cover the Bruins and their commitment to mediocrity. This leads me to my question. I've always wondered what it would be like to be in your position. Specifically, how much information do you get that never gets shared publicly about your respective teams or other teams in the conference? Rumors, accusations, you know, all the good stuff, i.e., what is the real deal with the L.A. schools uh, passed on uh, Kayvon Thibodeau? He said KT. Seems to me covering college sports puts you both in a unique journalistic position, given you're dealing with amateurs and specifically for Ryan, a private institution. Do we, the listeners and 247 subscribers, get 50% of what you know, 90%? How often are you holding back on podcasts 
and articles you produce. Thank you for your time and response. Uh, love the pod. I'd love to know your answer to this. So mine is, um, I don't know if I would get into an exact percentage. What we'll often do is things we know more. So the, it's also what do we know versus what is uh, a lot of what we deal with is like some very, very substantiated rumor that we're not necessarily willing to report, but we can hint at certain things. And you'll we'll do that a lot. Like, and we do that throughout all kinds of stu- different stuff. And you can kind of tease out. A lot of times, if we're like hinting at a certain thing, you can kind of tease out what maybe the the true parameters are that we can't necessarily report. And like, I don't have a good, obvious example of that right now. But I know Tracy during the coaching search was hearing a lot of stuff that he didn't necessarily feel like was something either that we could report at that point but we would tease it a little bit in the coaching hot board. Um, and I know that um, there is a certain amount of stuff that like we might know that's coming down that we've been, you know, either sources have asked us not to report it or it's just a little bit too sensitive. Like if we hear something that a single source has from one of the major players and they say, look, here you can know this, but you can't divulge it or else I'm going to get burned. Well, then, obviously, we can't report it. Um, and that happens to a certain extent on basically anything. Um, but usually, if we get like multi-sourcing on anything, we report it. I mean, there's no reason to hold something back um, beyond that. So I don't know an exact percentage. Um, somewhere probably between 50 and 90 Yeah, that, that we're reporting. Um, but, yeah, there's always going to be some subset of it. And like some things like... You know, certain recruiting stories, like, we'll just never divulge it because, uh, you know, it was sensitive about a particular kid. And, you know, you just don't want to do that at a certain point. Um, it loses its value. But I don't know. I mean, there's some percentage of it, but not uh, – I don't I don't think there's, like, this huge unearthed area. Right. I mean, mostly we're in the information business, and we want to provide that. Yeah, and I think so. You know, it would probably, for me, be somewhere in the 80 up there kind of range. Like, I, you know, it just depends on what – the story is sometimes it's just something dumb that you hear about a recruit or whatever, but it's always newsy stuff. I mean, you don't ever hold back on if you watch a recruit and you think he stinks or you think he's awesome or you yeah, know, yeah. that stuff you always share, you know, that's your opinion and you can always say those kind of things. But if it's like, Hey, you heard from a dad of a blah, 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 that this kid, uh, you know, was terrible in school and he, you know, he, he might fail out and that's why he's not, you know, that you, you hear stuff like that that you don't always talk about but you might hint like like dave said like you might refer to it obliquely and you might say oh there's a fit issue or something that's just going to make this a tough one to grab yeah um like with the kid on Thibodeau, yeah we've heard all kinds there's like all kinds of weird things you sort of hear but you also talk about both la teams were struggling and um you know and they weren't really always putting their best recruiting efforts forward like if you had uh you know if terry donahue was at ucla they probably would have recruited the heck out of they would, like just the weird position, you know, if, if Pete Carroll was at USC, they probably would have recruited him. Um, you know, th- probably there's probably some bad decisions made, some decisions maybe made for the wrong reasons. Some of it might be the right stuff. I don't know. It's just, it's sort of all over the place, but you hear little things and you never want to throw a kid under the bus or anything like that either. So there's, it, you know, it's just kind of like a combination, but we are the information business. You get most of it, but sometimes it's more of a, it's information for us that you kind of hear and you, you can't, um, you know, verify it, but you might ask some other questions that leads to something else that you say, but that was based on something that you didn't say because, you know, you heard it from a single source or whatever. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think with recruiting stuff in particular, like, especially if you're covering a team, um, you're going to hear a lot of times you're going to hear one side, um, which is more often than not the team's side. And so if they have a particular reason why they're not going after a kid or a particular reason why, you know, they can't do things, what I tend to do is always, you know, you know, hit up Biggins or Huffman, two of the best in the business, and say, hey, are you hearing this at all or anything similar to that from the kid's angle um, to see if, you know, because if it checks out on both ends, then it's probably a true thing. If it only checks out on the school's end, it might be a little bit of spin. Yeah. And like the when like the Brew McCoy stuff was going on, like I would check with Biggins. Biggins would talk to uh, the family a lot. And so I would get an opinion and mostly it was coming from basically what the Brew McCoy family was saying. Then you'd talk to, you know, people that we, you know, USC coaches or whatever, you get to that kind of perspective and there would be different, you know, and there's, well, they feel this way. And so, and then you kind of have to try to put it all together. Like this is, you know, maybe a high school coach thinks this, a family thinks that, a a college coach thinks this, someone from Texas thinks that, and you kind of have to put it all together and figure out like what's, you know, what's real. Cause everyone's going to, whoever you talk to, you have to understand who the source is just because somebody tells you something. Do they have an agenda? Are they or are they trying to save face or whatever it is? So you have to, you know, kind of put all that in perspective. And if you're good, then you talk to people on all different sides, and then you can kind of triangulate what the real story is, or as close to the real story as you can get. Yeah, exactly. All right, you ready for the next one? Sure. This is from Card Sharp Cook from Henderson, Nevada. I think it's going to be a gambling based podcast. What do you think? Or gambling based? I, I think so. A better method for projections. Uh, he says, David does intense projections projections where he predicts the outcomes of every game in a binary fashion. Ryan grabs numbers out of thin air. I have a better method. <laughs> I've assigned point spreads to all 54 Pac-12 games. Point spreads can be converted to chances of winning each game. Based on my comprehension of the Podcast of Champions Pac-12 Spring Ball updates, I've computed Pac-12 standing projections. North Washington seven and two, Stanford six and three, Oregon five and four, Washington State five and four, Cal three and six, Oregon State one and eight, Utah in the South seven and two, ASU six and three, USC five and four, UCLA four and five, Arizona three and six, Colorado two and seven. The beauty of this system is that while I don't have Colorado or OSU as a favorite in any particular game, between them I have them winning three games. Similarly, Utah and Washington should be favorites in all eighteen of their games yet still lose four of them. Rounding has resulted in the South looking better than it is. I can extrapolate Vegas-approved projections once Vegas releases Game of the Week odds on 20% of these games. I don't want to predict non-conference games as I don't listen to their podcasts. Ah, All right. Card sharp cook. Yeah, uh, but, you know, grabbing numbers out of thin air, buddy. I've won the the pick contest the last three years, so I don't know what there's but. But I am in spirit better than you. That's what he's saying here, and that's the yes. thing that matters. And I've been I've been perfect. I think the last two years picking the winners of each division. So uh, for Card Sharp, whatever my methods are, they are working. So nanny nanny. Boober. Don't be so results oriented. <laughs> uh, but I do try to pick about. Yeah, no. David does a, a really good job of. He'll go through, and I'll try to do that this year. But it's just you know. It's a lot of work, but you go through and like try to pick each game, you know, but that led him to believe that Utah was going to be the fifth best team in the Pac-12 South. And that was very, very wrong. Um, 
but I will try that. But spir- spiritually correct is what we're saying here. <laughs> okay, uh, this is from Alex and Santa Barbara, Olympic sports follow-up. Hello, Dave and Ryan. I wanted to follow up last week's discussion about total national championships by school. Stanford leads with 119, followed by UCLA with 116, and USC at 107. There's been at least three emails so far that when you write out USC, it's either one was U dollar sign C. This is like UCLA is all caps, USC is lowercase. And the last one was just like SC, like lowercase. So that everyone is like not spelling, uh, putting capital letters for USC. So, okay, 107 for USC. The next school, Oklahoma State at 52. Um, so by far the three most national championship t- programs with the most national championships are all in the Pac-12, Stanford, UCLA, and USC. What do you? Th- uh, why do you think Cal lags so significantly behind their California counterparts? Should we kick them out of the Conference of Champions uh, for disgracing our goal of winning the sports no one watches? Alex in Santa Barbara. I wish he gave I, – well, I think one of the uh, – Cal, I think, is in the 40s, right? And, like, ha- half of them were what – did the, what did we say Cal was really good at? There was uh, water polo. Yeah. Yeah, so I think there was, like, 40-something and, like, 24 of them were in water polo or something like that. So it – they're, but they're behind Oklahoma State at 52. Yeah, why do you think that, that they're so much you know further behind the other California schools? I don't even have a really good theory. I know that they've had, I, I think they've had budget issues in the past as well. <sighs> yeah. I mean, but they, but. Wait, also, hang on. I'm, I'm, wait. So over the course of the school's history, California has won na- team national titles in 13 men's and three women's sports and 107 team titles overall. 107? Yeah. But those must not be NCAA titles or what's the... I don't know. I mean, because like football's not counted, but I think you know maybe there was a bunch of water polo ones before it was a recognized NCAA sport. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Hang on. All right. I'm getting to the bottom of this. Hang on. Okay. So, so Cal has, why is it listing that incorrectly? Stupid Wikipedia. Stupid Wikipedia. (laughs) Um, Cal has, wait, but Cal's telling me it has, what the hell, Cal? All right. Cal has 38. Why is it saying 38 here, but on Cal's stupid sports Wikipedia page, it says 107? Huh. I don't know. I got Here's a Wikipedia page that shows. Um, this is saying Stanford has 120. UCLA has 116. USC is 107. Oklahoma State, 52. Penn State, 51. Texas, 46. Arkansas, 45. North Carolina, 44. LSU, 43. Then Berkeley comes in at 38. Um, okay. Oregon's down. Yeah, so here are the sports where they've won. Uh, baseball, basketball, um, football, which are not – are they counting football here? You can't. They are. They're, they're counting 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and 37. Okay, yeah. You can't – I don't think you can count football because it's not an NCAA title. Right. Um, golf. Uh, men's golf, uh, gymnastics, they've got four. Outdoor track and field, one. Swimming and diving, they have six. Water polo, they have 14. And then women's, they have rowing, four. Softball, one. Swimming, four. 
One thing that's notable is that they really didn't do anything in women's sports until 2002. Like they had no winners. Oh, uh, okay. So like USC, UCLA, so Stanford, not, they've they've had a lot of women's titles before that. Yeah, they've been cranking they've been cranking women's sports for a long, long time. Is that weird? Um, like Cal, like the most like you know liberal institution, wasn't like really women's sport friendly or or good? I don't know. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder what the what happened there because that does seem very odd. Hmm. Uh, um, and also, they've been dominant in a few things that were not NCAA. They've been dominant in rugby. Right. Okay. Rugby's like, a big one. Dominant in rugby since 1980. Um, and they were very good in crew, which I don't know. It, well, how, how is that? Is that? Isn't that the same thing as rowing? I think it is. Yeah. Same thing. Somebody help us out with this. We're having a real tough time. If somebody could explain why Cal sucks at stuff, that'd be great. Uh, Thank you. We say sucks, but they're like 10th in the country with 38 national titles. So. They suck. But Come compared on. to like... Comparatively, they suck. Um, or, tell, tell us why you suck, Cal. Let us know. Oregon's 13th with 33 uh, national titles. Then uh, guess who's next after... Who would have the next most after Oregon? Colorado. Yeah, 26. So that's good for 20th. Uh, ASU 24, uh, t- titles, they're 23rd in the country. 28th would be Utah with 22. That's a, that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. 34th is Arizona with 19 national titles. And that's the, that's it for the top 40, I guess. So, um, yeah, Pac-12 well-represented, especially certainly at the top, but I don't know why Cal's that far behind it. Maybe, I don't know. Just didn't focus on things at the time. Yep. Um, All right. This is from uh, Shane. You ready? Uh, yeah, I'm going to take a little nap. Just finish reading this, and then I'll come sure, back. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, does the Smithsonian have a branch in Fresno? David, David, here's my Seth Abramson tweeting about the Mueller. How do you pronounce Mueller, name? Uh, Mueller report? Is it Mueller, right? Are we going Mueller? Mueller? I didn't read it. I don't know. I, I have avoided every news story about this, so I don't actually know how you pronounce it. Um, all right. Mueller. Let's go Mueller. Mueller. I think it's Mueller, yeah. Mueller. 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 Spell your name different, man. <laughs> Come on. All right. Mueller report of emails. A couple weeks ago, our man Jonathan wrote maybe my favorite listener email ever, a glorious swing for the fences about Kevin Kelly and going forward on fourth down. I want to make sure this beautiful document doesn't get the short shrift and disappear into the caverns of history without being appropriately celebrated. Frame it. Put it on display in a museum somewhere. To recap, one, he asked the two of you to do a bunch of work, which does he not actually listen to your podcast? (laughs) Two, he then admitted, no, he in fact does not listen to the podcast with any regularity. What sort of maniac writes an email to a podcast they don't listen to? Three, next he wants you to reach out to him personally and let him know when you've planned to produce his content for him. And please give him enough time to make room on his crowded schedule to accommodate the work you did for him. It is it is truly beautiful, and you've laid it out nicely, Shane. Uh, at least Hithliday listens to your podcast regularly, regularly before forwarding his Latin homework to you guys. <laughs> Uh, on Kevin Kelly, dude was on uh, Podcast Ain't Played Nobody last summer, so you could probably get him. I mean, this podcast is basically Podcast Ain't Played Nobody, only instead of focusing on college football coaching and media intrigue, you guys talk about clowns and burritos. <laughs> uh, maybe Bill Connolly can just drive to Jonathan's house to host a little whiteboard session for him with a couple buddies. Maybe Parcells. Is Bill Walsh still dead? <laughs> Belichick can bring his famous onion dip. Is that okay, Jonathan? Any allergy issues? 
Uh, on Kevin Kelly, for real, uh, the punting and the onside kick thing get all the attention, but there's a real impact to the math and game theory hidden under the surface of his fourth down strategy. Going forward on fourth down isn't just giving yourself the extra chance at new cards. It's dynamically changing the value of the other cards in your hand. So many play-calling series are put behind the chains by an incomplete pass on first down or a short run on second down simply because they're defaulting to a three-down game. You fundamentally change the way a defense prepares to defend a team on third and seven if the office is going for it on fourth down anyway. The universe of collective defensive knowledge, preparation, and best practices sort of goes out the window, and it waterfalls down to impact the way you call first and second downs. Until the rest of the world adapts to you, you're basically playing a different game. David David is right. The first coach who really embraces this at the FBS level will win a lot of games. Am I thinking about that right, or am I oversimplifying? No, uh, I, no, I think that's dead right. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah, and and that's probably a point. And also, my instinct would be it would affect um, the, I think the dominant uh, defensive strategy right now, which is more or less bend but don't break at an elite level. Um, because if you have to do that for four downs instead of three, where you're trying to prevent some, you're trying to keep somebody to two to three yards of down, um, you got to start taking some more chances. Because if teams are consistently able to are consistently choosing to go four downs, uh, that's a tougher strategy to set yeah. defensively. You, you got to take some more risks. Yeah, it, in a normal strategy, if you want to run the ball, you basically need four yards of carry. And if you're going to go for it on third, on fourth down, you need three yards to carry, right? Or not even. So, yeah, it changes the whole success rate calculation. Yeah. Like, what's what's a successful run? Well, if you're doing, if you're majority of a four down team where you're going to go four downs, then, I mean, it's a successful run is probably more like three yards on first. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, question. Uh, the whole Kevin Kelly thing is an exercise in strategic absolutes, but I think a coach, a head coach has five general responsibilities one, recruiting. Two, player development and gloves. <laughs> uh, three, coaching X's and O's. Four, internal program management, discipline, grades, assistant staff, culture, etc. Five, external program management, fundraising, fan engagement, media relations, golf, etc. For the perspective of our listeners, which responsibility do you think fans tend to overemphasize most? Which one do you think the fans underemphasize or misunderstand the most? Has a program ever had sustained success while completely ignoring more than one of these responsibilities, or would Clay Helton be the first? <laughs> Keep up the work. Keep up the work. Your friend and compatriot, Shane. Thanks for the email, Shane. Okay. Was there anything you'd add to this, or does this seem about right? I to you? think so. Like, you know, probably with the, the internal program management, I think encompasses a lot, you know? Um, if you're talking yeah, about, I think that's, if you're talking about hiring assistants and all that kind of stuff and the support staff, like there's a lot that goes in and, and you're, you're, you know, grouping that in with, uh, guys getting, you know, the, the culture around your team, uh, if they get in trouble on a Friday night, uh, how well their grades are like, that's a lot in that one category, I'd say. Yeah. And I, uh, one thing that's not mentioned, I think it might be encompassed in Shane's assessment of culture, but like emotional leadership. Um, football's an emotional game and it's very, you know, especially at a certain level, it's kind of rah, rah and how you get up for it. Um, and I think a coach who can kind of be an inspiring type of leader, I think it can help. I don't think it's super important all the time. I think some guys can do it in a more cerebral way or in a more business-like way, but I think that can definitely boost a team. If the head coach is a 
kind of a uh, an energetic figure who brings a good amount of energy and gets guys pumped up. So do we need a number six uh, halftime speeches? Nah, Is that what you mean? I think it goes. I think it goes into internal program, but I think it's a factor, Jesus. and I, I would include. Yeah. I would include it in the commas. Okay. Uh, yeah, um, that's a lot. I mean, there's, there's a lot internal program management. So for sure. Um, all right. So which responsibility do you think ta- fans tend to overemphasize the most? Probably the coaches X's and O's. Um, they, I mean, that's always, they're always criticizing what plays being called. Like if they call a timeout now. So I think that's, I think that you can certainly be critical of that stuff, but I think that you see probably the most of that. Yeah. So I think there's a certain level where they overemphasize it on like, uh, Oh, they need to blitz more, um, standpoint. Um, or like, Oh, don't call the unsuccessful play, call the better play. But I think also like, it's it, it depends on what your what subset of fans you're talking about. I think the fans on our message board, and this is kind of an antithetical thing for me to say. Over well, look, recruiting and how you're you're coaching X's and O's and, and player development, like those are like kind of the t- player development and X's and O's on one hand, recruiting on the other, um, are kind of the two big weights on a coach. They're very and important. Like, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're yeah, not recruiting, both, you're not going to do well. You know. Right, but also like I think maybe people overemphasize to a degree recruiting over the other aspect of oh, it okay. because there's a certain as a certain you know thing which is Chris Peterson is going to beat you with your players if he wanted to and he's going to beat you with his players if he wanted yeah. to because he's a much better coach than you um, and I think that element lends itself more to the idea that two and three here player development and gloves and uh, coaching X's and O's. <laughs> are a little bit when you get to a certain level they're more important than recruiting but recruiting is obviously it's necessary but not sufficient for determining that you're going to be a good program yeah um but i would say having a good coach is almost almost in and of itself sufficient for saying that you're going to be successful so you could say maybe not elite level success but you would be uh at least moderately successful with that argument though and i and i wouldn't have picked this to start but you could say Fans overemphasize recruiting then because if you are Chris Peterson and you took uh, Cal's players, he would develop them well, give them all the gloves they needed. They would, he would certainly coach them up X's and O's wise, and he'd create this culture. You know, the internal program management and external program management would all be very good. So even if the players weren't, you know, the greatest, he could still, with the other, you know, four aspects, still make that a very successful team. So maybe in the in that case. It would be recruiting. I wouldn't have thought recruiting to start but, would but, be over. But 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 this is the thing, Ryan. This is where I, I continue my lifelong journey up my own asshole. Um, <laughs> I'm 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 also having an issue with fans because I think Joe Fan probably doesn't overemphasize recruiting, right? Yeah. I think Joe Fan isn't even thinking about That's true. who's coming into the school next. Our year. fans. He's care probably about it, yeah. overemphasizing like they're they're calling the wrong plays on third down. Whereas the people who are are more inclined to like subscribe to our sites, they might be the ones who are inclined to overemphasize recruiting, but that's a small subset of fandom. So it's really kind of a nuanced question, which is just, again, me diving deep, deep, deep into my own butthole. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think from like, if I'm just like talking JoJo fan, I would say you're probably right, X's and O's. 
But if it's like the hardcore fan, it could be recruiting. If it's the hardcore fan, I would say because they'll be like, um, "Why does Chip Kelly only have this many offers?" Like they're talking about offers, how many are out, and like what you know, yeah, yeah. timing of when you offered a kid. And but stuff. here's the thing with Chip Kelly: Chip Kelly has even broken through my <laughs> like disregard for recruiting. So, bad example. So I think that okay, bad example. It's there's so much nuance here, right? Um, all right. So which responsibility do you think fans tend to overemphasize the most? Which ones do you think uh, fans? underemphasize or misunderstand the most to me this is easy it's the gloves because if you are good if you have <laughs> gloves you can do a lot so when you know rick neuheisel for example if he had gloves <sighs> oh my i mean that's probably a bcs you know national title contending sort of team how important gloves were and fans don't realize it they don't realize even some media members i know that covered that team didn't realize how important gloves are <laughs> um, my answer, my real answer, Ryan, uh, would be number four, internal program management, if only because so much of it is below the surface and you can't see it and you, there's no real reporting on yeah. a lot of it. But like the things that can go wrong in a program's culture can affect every piece of this because it's not just the culture of the players. Sometimes the assistant staff goes bad because there's a lot of backbiting about who's getting credit for what and a lot of bitchiness about all that kind of stuff. And this happened with Jim Mora's staff at UCLA where it got toxic at the player level, but it also got toxic at the staff level. There were issues like deep systemic issues with that program um, that were just hard to report on, hard to talk about. And so fundamentally it was, it was harder for fans to understand that. Yeah. Um, so I think that can happen at, I mean, maybe it's maybe that's unique to UCLA. I kind of doubt it. I think that's probably across the board at various programs that kind of go bad suddenly. Um, but I think that's one where it's just it's hard to for fans to really know what's going on. Yeah, there. by definition, because it's internal, you're not going to hear about it as much. You know, discipline, you hear about guys getting arrested, but there's other stuff that goes on besides that. You know, big stuff. There could be drug issues. There could be you know internal fighting. There's all kinds of stuff that you know I think would be internal. So. I, I mean, I still have gloves number one. That would be a distant second for me, but that the number four would be important for sure. Yeah, and then um, has the program ever had sustained success, success while completely ignoring more than one of these responsibilities, or would Clay Helton be the first? Well, I think Chip Kelly's testing out if he can do it without recruiting and um, like more or less any fan engagement. So that would be two yeah. off this list. Just kidding, guys. Just kidding. A- He's doing better in recruiting. He's caring about it now. That's good. Yeah. He, he's acknowledging it exists now. I mean, Rick Neuheisel didn't have the gloves. Yeah. So he tried to do it without one. But, okay, so successful, sustained success. Yes. Well, that was too much. I mean, that Rick, was the, just you could you could do one, no recruiting, no internal discipline, all that stuff. But you can't do gloves. Like, gloves is just too important if you if you skip yeah. that. I can't think of another uh, of a coach who's done it without these, had sustained success. It's hard, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you could say Clay Helton won a Rose Bowl and won the Pac-12 championship and probably was missing one or two, but, you know. Uh, the tough one to assess would be internal program management. I mean, I know some big-time programs have had some internal issues over the years, so maybe some of that. But I think even within that internal program management, as we talked about, there's a lot that goes into that. And I don't think, like, discipline and culture are ever right. bad in a sustained successful program. Now, maybe grades get bad at some point with some players and they flunk out. 
Um, but even then, I mean, if it's a sustained program, they are probably got that figured out, too. Yeah. Uh, we got one from Anthony. Uh, hi, Ryan and Dave. Uh, select one player from each Pac-12 school that you are most interested in the NFL nope. draft. Not doing that. Uh, I, I'll give you I'll give you a little NFL draft stuff uh, from our buddy Daniel Jeremiah. But uh, the second part is, what is your favorite candy bar? Twix. Twix. I, I think I'm going to go boring with Snickers. Um, it's just like a staple. It's just like, you know, Snickers is really freaking good. I mean, I like Twix a lot. Um, do you remember Payday? Those were pretty good, but just the, the lack of chocolate, it's hard to put them that high. I think, uh, nuts are communist. What? You're not a nut fan? Nuts are garbage. Wow. Absolute trash. And people who put them in dessert items, uh, should be like thrown into the sea. Damn. What about peanut butter? You 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 stick nuts on a brownie and I will I will violently throw it in your face. Wow. Don't you do that, okay? Reese's is pretty freaking awesome. Reese's candy butter. Are you like peanut butter and chocolate or no? No, peanut butter's fine. Okay. You put it in butter form, that's great. You give me a hard like ashy nut to eat while I'm trying to chow down on some chocolate? Get Not out of here fan. with that mess. Uh Get out of here. Milky Way is pretty darn good. Um uh, and uh, Three Musketeers. Those are good. Okay. Whiskey, um, Three Musketeers is always kind of weird. Like, what's going on in the middle of that thing? It's yeah, airy. Like, it's yeah. a little... You talk to me about, like, caramel. I'll be like, okay, yeah, I get that. I get milk. Caramello? Day, but... Like, a, was it the Caramello bar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Caramello is good. Uh, there's one that's like a toffee one. I don't know. I like Twix because it's... Not, you, know, you know what that is. Yeah. It's a cookie. It's a cookie with chocolate over it. Ooh, it's great. Kit Kat's pretty freaking good, too. Kit Kat's pretty money. Yeah. Yep. I mean, but you're talking to me like, what's your favorite candy bar? It's like, I don't know. It's like, they're all freaking awesome. Uh, okay. Just for real quick. I can't believe you broke out Snickers. That 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 is. I'm so sorry. But I do. I like nuts Oof. and stuff. Um, as far as Pac-12 goes, it looks like it's going to be a lot of Washington, Washington State early. So Daniel Jeremiah did his, uh, you know, uh, he's doing one of his mock drafts. So Andre Dillard, the offensive tackle from Washington State, he has him number 12. So he's the highest ranked um player uh in the Pac-12 to a, a lot of the boards that I saw he's kind of the you know he's kind of the guy that everyone's talking about uh Byron Murphy the cornerback from Washington um he's next let me see who else we got a Pac-12 got Nikhil Harry don't they don't have him projected as a first rounder like uh the two Washington guys but you know Arizona State's wide receiver Daniel Jeremiah has him 37th and then Taylor Rapp uh, the safety from Washington, he has him 39th, so he's up there too. So those are like second round uh, sort of guys. Another Washington guy, Caleb McGarry, the offensive tackle from Washington, they have him 45th. Um, Stanford's uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, you know about him, he's 49th. Uh, I think he's going to be a pretty good NFL player just with his size and everything. Um, then going down, let's see, in the 50s. Not a lot of Pac-12 guys. Uh, uh, Ugo Amadi, the cornerback uh, from Oregon. Uh, Daniel has him number 68. So that's the highest uh, duck we've seen. And let's see if there's anyone else. Uh, Drew Sample, the tight end from Washington. I don't remember a lot about him. Do you remember Drew much? They have him 78th. I don't know why that doesn't like... I know we've talked about him before, but it's just not a... Not a lot. And then let's see anybody else. Another Washington guy, Ben Burke, Ben Burke, the, the linebacker who just had 
crap loads of stats. Uh, Daniel has him 94th. Chuma Doga, USC offensive tackle. They have him 95th. And that's it for the Pac-12. So uh, mostly Washington dominating the early days, but probably only, you know, two, maybe three Pac-12 players going in the first round, it looks like. Makes sense. Is that? All right. You ready for this next yeah. one? <laughs> uh, Herocious. <laughs> this is from our friend Larry Scott. Uh, this is uh, our friend Jamie. Uh, congratulations. My seven-year-old daughter, who has never heard of this podcast but loves Disney princesses, so maybe she should start listening to it, used the word herocious on two separate occasions in the same day. Your podcast has apparently reached into the circles of seven-year-olds, and for that I must congratulate you. Maybe you should retire while you're on top. Uh, off-season topic. Uh, since both of you are SoCal guys, and I know Dave is just such a roller coaster enthusiast, power rank the following Southern California amusement parks as well as any I may have left out. So he has Disneyland, California Adventure, Magic Mountain, Universal Studios, Knott's Berry Farm, SeaWorld, Legoland, Scandia. Just kidding. Your friend, Larry Scott. Um, what would you put your number one? I'd go Magic Mountain. Magic Magic Mountain's number one. Knott's Berry Farm is number two. I haven't done um, as much Knott's Berry Farm. I've only like done like the scary farm and stuff. I need to do well, that. Disneyland. Disneyland isn't a roller coaster park, um, so you can get like there's Thunder Mountain, which is okay. There's Space the Mountain. Matterhorn. Space Mountain, which is okay. Is the Matterhorn even still there? I I don't remember. Yeah, it might be, unless they're replacing it. I don't remember. But Space Mountain, Space Mountain, Thunder Mountain, and the Matterhorn um, are basically it. Whereas Knott's has like some real upside down stuff. Yeah. So you got to go Knott's number two. Magic Mountain just has more, um, just more volume. Um, so it's those two, and then after that. I mean, Universal Studios is not really a. Yeah. It's again another type of theme park. Uh, California Adventure might be number three. There's, there's some cool rides like the Cars ride, but there it's not. It's they're more the technological like you, you feel like you're doing crazy stuff ride. Um, yeah, but yeah, I'd probably go California Adventure, maybe Disneyland. Um, you know, see, like SeaWorld is like I like SeaWorld. Uh, I've I've not done Legoland. Oh wait, got this is oh okay. So he's asking us just to rank the amusement parks, not just as a roller coaster enthusiast. Oh, he said he was kind of making fun that you are not a roller coaster, or, or you right, are right, okay. right, 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 right. Okay, Disneyland is number one because it's like you're in a different world when you're there. Okay, see, I still, I, I would, would much rather go to Magic Mountain, but that okay, I would see the argument there. Disneyland with kids is just great. Um, I would go probably, uh, I'd probably go Knotts number two and then Magic Mountain again because you're getting a little bit more of like other stuff at Knotts. Where it's not, and it's also like it's easier. Like, and this is maybe just from a perspective angle, but like getting to knots and spending like three hours at knots, and their season pass is like seventy bucks or something, and you're just like in and out in a few hours. Like that's totally doable and great with kids. Okay, Disneyland though, if you're going, you're going for the whole day because that's you're spending like one hundred seventy dollars right. or something. And Magic right. Mountain's way up in Valencia. Um, yeah, and that's just hard to get to for most people. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed the California Adventure one. I'd probably put that up there too, like it's four or yeah. something. Um, after that, like I've not done Legoland, I'd probably put that last. Uh, but I haven't done it either. Uh, Universal Studios is like kind of a neat thing where if you want to do the, you know, you do the lot tour and all that stuff. Like, there's some neat stuff. Uh, I'd probably do SeaWorld over Universal Studios. 
But yeah, they're all at the bottom. Did for you me. watch like, Blackfish? <laughs> no, I didn't. I, didn't I, I can't. Like, I, and I, I, I last went to SeaWorld like fifteen or years ago, probably. Okay. So, I like um, growing up in like Western. When I was a kid in Western Pennsylvania, they had one called like Cedar Point, which was pretty big. But we had a SeaWorld in like just across the border in Ohio for some reason. Like there was a SeaWorld in Ohio, so we used to do that as a kid. So I've, I was, I was kind of like SeaWorld, like the Shamu store, you know. But I know there's people that yeah, yeah. that hate it. But I'd, I'd probably just put Legoland last because I've never been. But I, but I love Legos. I grew up playing with Legos. Like you know, I love those as a toy. But as an adult, I've not been to Legoland. Okay, so what we're basically saying is some combination of Disneyland, California Adventure, Magic Mountain, and Knott's Berry Farm near the top. Some combination of Universal Studios, SeaWorld, Legoland, and and the joking Scandia at the bottom. <laughs> what is, what is Scandia? What's the joke there? Is that a God? I have no. I I I, is it, I think that is that's a Sonoma. Is that the one? Is that like a family fun center? I don't know. Go, I think it's like a birthday party place. Go, or, like where you go and like have. Like you do like batting cages and stuff. Oh, there's a family like fun center in Ontario. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, um, some fun part. Okay. Yeah. Probably not that cool. one. All right. Uh, thank you. And that was. Um, Herocious. Okay. Uh, this last one is from Bernie. Are we over the two hour mark? I think. We are. Holy. We are. And Bernie's pissed. Bernie is pissed at me. He is, oh, okay. So, Bernie, for Ryan, I just finished listening to your latest recruiting podcast with Gerard Martinez. I have to say it wasn't very encouraging. Uh, whenever he talked about a five-star, it seemed like the Trojans were on the outside looking in. Uh, you were correct. He kept uh, repeating that the big-time programs like Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, etc. had the lead, and USC was lucky if they made their top 10, and in one case, their top 12. I have to view this as a result of Clay Helton's impact. I've always heard USC recruits itself, but the last podcast cast uh, dispersions on that philosophy. What is your take on USC's ability to recruit the top players? I think a lot of the time when you're talking about a five and seven team, it's sort of like a prove it. If they come back and win like nine or 10 games, they'll be in on all those guys, like the Justin flows, the the five-star dudes local. It's hard to recruit. You still recruit nationally, but if you're not nationally relevant, usually aren't going to be recruiting those guys. So um, being five and seven, you're just an afterthought and you're not going to get those guys. So I think, They'll be able to, if they start winning games, they'll build back into it. If not, then he'll likely be fired and and then a new coach will have to recruit those guys. So it's, that's just kind of the way it is right now, Bernie. Um, for Dave, I have to say, Dave, you're, uh, you're encouraging more Disney questions in the last podcast was really annoying. Oh, hmm. For us college football fans, there isn't a lot of places we can go at this time of year for insight and to have our coaches or programs compared to some Disney character, is really unnecessary and boring. But hey, I know I'm just a subscriber and I don't really carry any weight with you. So playing fair in regards to being to be annoying, my question is as follows. Who do you think will be UCLA's starting five in basketball next year? Thanks, guys. From Bernie. I think it'll be Jasmine at the point, uh, Ariel at the shooting guard, <laughs> um, who had some height. I mean... Elsa could get up there just because she can create frozen ground beneath her. So I think she'd probably be playing center. Rapun- Rapunzel. Uh, Do you think Rapunzel would be a center? Rapunzel's got some hair. No, I think she could be a power forward, okay. like playing playing some post D um, <laughs> as a power forward. Though in today's game, you know, she'd probably be having to stretch out to the perimeter. Yeah. But with her hair, she might be able to do that. Um, okay, Bernie, for your actual question. <laughs> um, 
I think you're probably going to see Tiger Campbell at the point, if only because uh, there's not a whole lot of other options. I think David Singleton will be at the at the two. Um, after that, I think it gets a little bit kind of dependent on who ends up sticking around. I think you could see Prince Ali playing at the three um, if he ends up not grad transferring. Um, and I think... You know, it's still uncertain about Moses Brown, that, but it looks like he's going to leave, so he's probably not coming back at the five. Um, I think you're going to see Jalen Hill and Cody Riley both most likely starting, though I guess we'll see what comes from Sharif O'Neal over the offseason. Um, there's also the element where we need to get a sense of what Mick Cronin's going to prioritize. Um, my, fee- my sense of it is he's going to prioritize hard work, um, guys who have the right attitude and commitment. Um, and if Alex Olasinski stays around, I don't think he has the talent to start for UCLA, but I wouldn't be surprised if he plays a lot because he does come with that right attitude. Um, Jules Bernard will probably start at the three. Um, but I think you could also see Chris Smith factoring in because, again, you don't know exactly what the effect of a new coach is going to be. A guy who previously looked like, you know, more or less a hopeless case or somebody who wasn't necessarily making the right strides he might suddenly, you know, pop and he suddenly has a new lease on life and he can start playing a lot better. And I'm referring to Chris Smith here, who has a ton of talent. And, uh, you know, and it'll depend also on what kind of system Cronin's going to run. You know, Chris Smith could be a four in some systems, um, a, a stretch four. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how all that shakes out. But I think definitively at this point, because no one else is on the roster to play the position, you're probably talking Tiger Campbell at, at the one and then almost certainly David Singleton at the two. And then the post positions, I would expect Jalen Hill at worst to start at one of them. Um, but yeah, that's the way I would go with that. As for the like Disney questions, I mean, seriously, if, if you've been listening to the show for this long and you think we're just going to stick to like, I don't know, breaking down rosters in the offseason, I, I don't know what to tell you. Really, I don't. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad you've been listening for so long, Bernie, but I don't know, man, just uh, maybe, maybe just calm down on, on editing what, what you're listening to and just enjoy it for what it is. And if you don't, if you, if you stop enjoying it, stop listening. How about that? But Bernie, you carry weight. You're a, you're a frequent emailer. Uh, you send in your questions. We, we care what, what everyone thinks, but the problem is we can't, you know, every suggestion we get, we can't follow because everyone's gonna have different opinions on what to do we just try to you know we're trying to do what we think's best and reach the most people and i'm not a huge disney princess fan but i thought that was kind of funny for a couple weeks i don't think we're gonna do a lot more of that but we the the offseason no i'm 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 planning on having a whole breakdown (laughs) bernie um so most of july actually um we're gonna be breaking down disney princesses what they bring to the table in football, in basketball, in a lot of different sports. And I think you're going to really enjoy it. So tune in. Yeah. Um, there's just a little, since we're over two hours, people aren't listening anymore. Um, I'm doing like a, a big vacation, uh, like going to Ireland and Scotland uh, in July. So it's like almost two weeks. Like, So we'll see. Would you, Bernie, would you rather like not have a show at all or a show that had like 10 minutes of Disney princesses in it? So we'll see. We'll test it because I don't think I'll be able to do a show uh, when I'm gone. And we know David's not going to like, get organized and do something while I'm gone. So, oh, oh, you have no idea what I'll do. Uh, <laughs> what? Now, now that now that Bernie has called me out, you have no idea what I will accomplish when pure spite is my ally. Um, no. And, and th- but that's like also like this is. 
how are people out there consuming podcasts? Because I'll tell you how I consume podcasts. If it's something I want to listen to, I'll listen to it. And if it deviates into something that I don't want to listen to anymore, I'll give it a couple of minutes and then I'll just turn it off. Life is short. Do not listen to things that you don't want to listen to, Bernie. Yeah. Okay? Like if it deviates into Disney talk in like the first 10 minutes, just be like, you know what? I'm shutting this off. I don't want to listen to this. That's fine. There's a lot of good college football shows out there. I recommend a lot of them. Podcast Ain't Play Nobody is great. Take a listen. They don't deviate into Disney Princess Talk, or at least not that often. Yeah. Um, way to encourage people to not listen to our show, Dave. That's good. Good job. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> but uh, no, just there's there's a lot of choice. There's a lot of choice. In the marketplace of podcasts, there is nothing if not choice. Yeah. Uh, and and if you have a regular list of podcasts you listen to, which I do like a lot of sports ones. I know Dave's got a lot of uh, different ones, but... It is a lot of slim pickings this time of year. Like certain shows can keep going, uh, but everyone's kind of, you're struggling for different content. I, I feel you've been really lucky that, you know, we just had a few topics and your questions and we still at two hours of, and I think today was pretty much all talk about Pac-12 football stuff, right? So, I mean, uh, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, and it, was, and, it was, and it was lesser for it. It was lesser for it. We needed more <laughs> Disney talk. More Disney talk. More amusement park breakdowns. More off-topic questions. We're in the beautiful and long-awaited off-season. Yeah. Uh, but we're doing a show every week. We're not skipping four to six months like we did before. So uh, Nope, never skip We it. are showing up every for week. work. Uh, if you do want another Packful podcast out there, there's literally none. So you can't, there's nothing you can <laughs> Like <laughs> We own you because this is all... No, I don't... Is there still... There was like a couple that would do some every once in a while, but I don't there's know. a there's one there's one or two that are doing it pretty consistently. I think there's like an Arizona group of guys that does one, um, and I haven't listened, but I uh, I've seen some good things about it. So there's I mean there's other options. Okay. There's a lot of room for it because people want to listen to a lot of different stuff, and so I, I just you know there's so, I guess what I'm saying is look we don't make a ton from this podcast. I'll level with you people out there. And if you're not enjoying it, like there's a lot of options out there for yeah. you. There really are. And I mean, just take a gander, take a look. If you're in the year 2019 and you are sending emails complaining about the content on a podcast that you are freely choosing to listen to, maybe just take a look at what choices you're making in life. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't want to discourage Bernie. He's a frequent, right? He emails us a lot of times. I know, but Bernie's also one of these guys who has tried to uh, has tried to police the podcast in the past. So I, I want right. to, I, I just want to make this clear to to to, to our man David's and to everybody out there. I mean, I, and this is not like a a negative thing. I'm doing this for your benefit. If there is something that is vexing you that you are listening to, investigate why it's vexing you, and then if it's vexing you simply because it is not the content that you prefer to listen to. Check something else out. There's a lot of options. There's so many out there. But keep keep listening to us. That's fine. But like obviously keep listening <laughs> to us so we can collect the uh the twelve dollars of, of of advertising revenue we get every month. All right. Well, <laughs> we should probably wrap it up before we lose any more listeners. No, no, no. We're doing well. We're doing well. I think, I think, I think, I think that the silent majority is 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 on our side. Nice. All right. Well, that's. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Two hours and fifteen minutes of off season bliss. Uh, Pac twelve. Wait, this, you just can't get this stuff anywhere else, people. Uh, that's David Woods. 
I'm Ryan Abraham. <laughs> we are the Podcast of Champions. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time.